0: Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, here once again with freelance writer, TJ Hafer. Hello, hello. We also welcome GamesBeat's blogger of the decade, Rowan Kaiser. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> and finally, up way past his bedtime, we have our old friend, Fraser Brown. Hello. So this week we're going to be talking about the decade that was, the 2010s, the major trends that emerged to define the era, the games that stood out in their genres, and the games that tell the story of why some genres grew while others may have withered or even vanished. Uh, But before we get into those sorts of specifics, I think a good place to start... Uh, this discussion of like what happened across this decade. And I'm referring now to a very helpful one sheet that Rowan prepared uh, in advance of the show with big ideas and lots of important games we should discuss. So thank you, Rowan. I'm going to crib liberally from this as, as we go through. Uh, But one of the things you, you cited right out of the gate was this is a decade where digital distribution not only comes into its own, but also profoundly changes what it means to have a game, come out and what it means for us to experience a game as an audience once it's live.
1: Yeah. um, We did a uh, kind of most important games of the decade list article type of thing over at games beat. And I was like, I have to do 2012 and I have to do crusader Kings two because crusader Kings two is really emblematic of the decade in that, like when CK two came out, it was a disaster. Like, it had 20,000 sales in the first month, but some of those sales or, you know, press codes went to people who were like, wait, holy shit. This game is actually a really amazing strate- new way of doing strategy games that uh, we have not seen as kind of like role playing character arc emergent stories. Uh, and so, like, word of mouth kept that game going. Being on streaming le- kept that game going. And then, like, Paradox constantly releasing patches and updates and expansions and um, little flags and uh, ruler customization and uh, little units with different little flags and basically everything they could to keep that game being alive. And Crusader Kings 2, it becomes a hit. It sells over a million copies. It might be over two million at this point. Um and is like one of the dominant games of the decade in general but definitely in strategy games and like if that game comes out three years before steam or even you know uh what was the the gamer gate not gamer gate gamers gate uh the better version of the gate uh if if it comes out before the digital distribution if they have to have this game survive on boxed copies We don't have CK2 as one of the games of the decade. And like, there's just a ton of other games like this. You know, Dwarf Fortress comes out in 2006. It still doesn't have an official release, but it's one of the most influential games of the decade because they keep making it live. It's digital, it's distributed. Uh, You just go and download it. And that's much easier, both like informal channels like Steam and informal channels like Dwarf Fortress and uh, some of those other games.
0: And Fraser, this has to be doubly exciting for you because they took a game that was already great, Rome 2, uh, and (laughs) made it even better uh, via the miracle of patches.
2: How long it would take before we get to to Rome 2. And it wasn't long. I'm proud of you, Rob. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was very pleased to see that Rome improved thanks to updates. And to be honest, it was a new addition, is actually what improved. Rome Two, the Emperor edition, which in the days of box copies, you would have not just gotten a company to like re-release a game that was successful. It wasn't like Rome Two among certain strategy circles was not appreciated. Um but it did well. It was it's like the best selling um Total War game. Uh, or was is that maybe Warhammer now? I think it's still Rome Two. Um but they, there would have been no real need for them to release this kind of new and improved version, but they did anyway, and it was actually good, really good i think base game Rome two now you've got to remember i didn't i actually was pretty bug free uh when I reviewed it Absolutely. I was quite lucky, but i did i mean the turn times were not great I didn't find them that. Bad, to be honest. <laughs> but like know, my memory... Fraser. We're not putting you back
0: on the defensive for Rome 2. Like we can we can stop we can stop going through your exact thinking of that moment in time. But I think what's interesting here is, you know, Rowan, even before this period, I think the pattern we'd seen with some Paradox games was this idea of Okay, well certainly there's going to be lots of expansions, there will be patches, but it does feel like as this as this era starts rolling along, we start seeing not only with things like Crusader Kings with lots of frequent updates and small updates and, and major patches, but also in the Total War model, uh, and this becomes a feature of a lot of different strategy games, this notion that we expect the game to continue evolving and that's part of the entertainment now right that that part of what a game is and the experience of being a fan of that game is is watching it change and so a game like Rome 2 Fraser's not wrong like a lot of people bought that game out of the gate and it was it, you know it, it it was one game and then over the coming you know year or two Rome 2 begins changing quite a bit and I think on that score it does sort of lay the groundwork for what a lot of total war games have done in the intervening period right where uh you know you were telling us toward the end of last year that hey uh Warhammer war, uh Warhammer 2 is quietly one of the more interesting total war releases again uh because these things continue to to evolve uh, even aside from the sort of expansions and patches that we that we were expecting uh, at the outset of this era,
1: yeah, with, with something like Warhammer Two or the the whole Total Warhammer franchise package, whatever, like Creative Assembly goes into it and says we are going to have like every part of Warhammer fantasy as it was. Um, That's changed with the whole age of Sigmar stuff. But like, we want to have every playable race be in this game and we're going to release it as a trilogy. And these trilogies are all going to, or each of these installments are going to fit together. They haven't done the third one yet, but like the, the mortal empires aspect of total Warhammer two, like was kind of a disaster. It was a real mess, both in terms of like technically, uh, strategically and like the ai just these things were not really working together and uh, a boxed version of this might not have actually successfully been able to do this because like the idea of having games that fit together with one another is not inherently new like you can go back to the late 80s and you have the breach and rules of engagement games that try to fit together but the fact that creative assembly was able to Fixed a lot of strategic issues by releasing a bunch of more varied and geographically scattered uh, playable characters and also, like, continue patching the game so the technical issues were no longer massive. Like, Total Warham- the combination of the Total Warhammers has become, like, the most interesting part of that game where it was much more of a curiosity for the first, like, year and a half. Another important aspect of the digital distribution is that I think it allows for... Smaller games to exist, like uh one of the, the rising kind of trends that we see is uh micro strategy games that, you know, you go back to like Adam Zombie Smasher at the start of the decade, but then um, everything that Raw Fury has been doing with like Kingdom and Bad North lately with these little tiny games that would probably like been a browser game or something that are now things that people can like build up uh, as indie games that uh this this model just didn't really exist prior to the steam era uh that roughly corresponds with the decade
0: no and arguably the entire you know this this also sort of lays the groundwork for things like the long early access period access period yes. right like this is uh you know we've we, we sort of now it's its own special sub-genre that you've sort of pulled out here but survival strategy not only came into its own but i would i would say that in general a lot of these games evolved along similar lines which is that the idea of them coming out and having a 1.0 release becomes less and less salient to their success. Survival strategy games not only become these sort of emergent, uh, you know, um, drivers of emergent narrative in in their own right, but a major part of what the experience of being a fan of these games is, is seeing the game itself be built and change and shift in real time.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, all of the big versions of that that genre, the Dwarf Fortress and uh, Oxygen Not Included and RimWorld, like all of these had extremely long early access periods. And like, these are games that are kind of like balanced on a tightrope or whatever. Like, it's very easy for them to fall apart. You have something like a Clockwork Empires that seemed so promising when it was announced and then never actually coalesced in any way. So these games tend to be like labors of love from one or two people or oxygen not included is like the exception here but uh they managed to build up enough of a uh fan base or people who are interested in where it goes that like how they change across uh these years becomes part of their narrative and a lot of this also connects with like the rise of the roguelike as uh one of the dominant forms of game design both within strategy and outside of it where uh it it becomes about how losing is fun it's not a thing that you are necessarily supposed to win it is a a repeated challenge that you go through over and over because another game that we will almost certainly talk a lot about here is darkest dungeon which is you know a roguelike tactics game that uh went through a year plus of early access until they felt like they managed to like get that balance right and have that you know knife's edge that they're balanced on uh work out um, and you know, honestly, like we've seen a whole bunch of darkest dungeon likes come out since that haven't quite gotten it right. And maybe they just needed to spend a
0: year tweaking every little bit of it. So one of the things I wanted to throw out to y'all here, cause I feel like I've heard from everyone in this room about you, some version of. In the last few years, we all feel like we've been ruined a little bit for the traditional Forex, not to say we necessarily like dislike that genre by default, but somewhere in this decade, it feels like our expectations and wants from strategy games shifted pretty profoundly. And I don't know, I, like, does that, does that seem to reflect your relationship with, with strategy games? Uh, you know, TJ?
3: Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it definitely does. Um, I'm not sure what I would add to it that, you know, longtime 3MA listeners haven't already hold- heard me say multiple times uh, here and other places, but, yeah, I I totally feel like games like Europa Universalis 4 usurped Civ for me almost completely. Um, and I don't think it has to do necessarily with a decline in the quality of Civilization games, because, I mean, I... Somewhat in the minority, I liked Civ Five a lot. Uh, I liked Civ Six decently enough, um, but I feel like there's never a time that I feel like starting a new Civ campaign that I wouldn't rather start a new EU4 campaign. I mean, it was kind of the um, Civ to me was always like the the play history game, and it, there wasn't anything else out there that was in the same milieu with a different level of abstraction and when games started becoming available that kind of dialed that abstraction back a little bit I just found that I flat out like those games more like I just I don't think it's even comparing apples to oranges necessarily I think it's like this is flatly for me a better
0: version of what I used to play Civ for Fraser I'm curious if you have gone through a similar arc i feel like i feel like eu4 changed things for you for a while i'm curious if the pendulum swung back
2: i i think the thing that actually really changed things for me was uh endless legend to be honest Hmm. uh just just with 4x games i was in heaven for a while because it was like there were so many uh but they really started to Feel very similar and kind of aiming for the same things. And then Endless Legend comes along and it's narrative and faction design and just this like weird, very strange world that's kind of hard to put your finger on. Is it sci fi? Is it fantasy? It was completely different. I think, even though, and I think today we still aren't quite sure if it's satisfying to play all the way through to the end game, uh, it's just. It felt like such a kind of landmark 4X game for me. And I immediately realized that what I wanted was more of this narrative and maybe more of like other genres kind of bleeding into to 4X. Uh, obviously, games like EU4 and CK2 had a big impact as well. Um, but I kind of, I, I put them in a different category. Uh, like I don't go, oh, I'd rather play... EU4 than Civ or Endless Legend because I think they serve different things. They kind of tickle different parts of my brain. Uh, so yeah, it was it was really Endless Legend that maybe start getting kind of dissatisfied with 4Xs and their direction.
3: Yeah, well I think one one reason Endless Legend I think um, is sort of more interesting than Civ to me these days is. And also another reason I like EU4 and, and those sorts of games is it's, it's about the types of stories that you can tell. I feel like in a traditional 4X game, you're always kind of telling the same story over and over again. And there's, you know, variations on the theme. Um, but, you know, the, the endless games insert these kind of micro stories and also Age of Wonders uh, does this as well. Um, they insert these kind of micro stories that are interesting along the way. Um, And then, you know, something like EU4 or especially CK2, there's so many different types of stories you can tell that aren't just uh, this like blobbing, you know, become the world hegemonic empire sort of thing um, that's been the bedrock of, of 4X for a very long time. Um, you know, I like to be able to tell smaller stories. I like to be able to tell different kinds of stories when I'm playing a strategy game. Uh, Whether that be something smaller scale, whether that be, you know, playing tall, um, setting my own objectives, I know is something we've talked about in relation to Civ and how it kind of forces you to pick an objective and stick with it uh, from the beginning of the game. And that's kind of to the detriment of its ability to be a fun story generator in a lot of ways. Um, So... um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's yeah, that's
1: I'm, uh, yeah Well, i think i think this ties into some of the other things that we've talked about or wanted to talk about and one of them is the idea of like losing being fun right 4x specifically civilization started building itself about the idea of the end game getting to the end and winning and i always liked the idea of <clears throat> civilization as kind of a you know building yourself up and seeing how the simulation runs. And those were the mods that I tended to play for previous Civs, but uh, those became less viable as the game got like more graphically complicated and focused on kind of an aesthetic experience that for access, stopped like opening it up quite as much to modders as Civ 4 had been. Uh, but, and this like pointed them in the direction of, you know, you want to win. And that's just not what I got my entertainment out of Civ 4 Uh well, it's what I got my entertainment out of CIF four for, but uh not uh yeah.
3: I, I think I think that, we all follow
1: But uh, <laughs> I, I, I got the pun backwards there. Uh but yes, uh the other thing uh-huh. that I think is going on that uh the the trend that um mm-hmm. Four x games kind of run into which ties along with the digital distribution and also talking about real time strategy games which had uh also started the genre or also started the decade as one of the dominant genres is that like because of digital distribution, these sorts of games that were treated as the default of strategy games, like you either had a sim style 4X, or you had an RTS, and those were everything that's going to be on the shelf. Well, what if those aren't the things that people actually liked the best? And we see all these other styles of games that are coming out and maybe more appealing because they managed to hit streamers or whatever, uh, you know. After action reports, that kind of thing, they hit that better. Or you know, people just happen to be like, actually, yeah, I, you know, prefer to play these survival strategy games, or I prefer to play these uh, paradox style grand strategy games to the the things that we have been had forced upon us by the major corporations being unwilling to uh, experiment. And you know, we had more options because of uh, digital distribution to see that actually yeah you know these major corporations might have been wrong to shove strategy games into those little boxes
2: the thing that's weird though is that we've had like a decade basically where starcraft 2 is the most popular rts which is one it's really traditional you know it's based on starcraft it's it's very much the sort of rts you're talking about and they did largely vanish but this one stuck around forever it's never it's like i don't know anyone who still like plays starcraft 2 but it's still around and i think the only real kind of leftovers the rts are, are are mobas really which even they are on the decline i mean league of legends is still ridiculously popular um to the point where even something like team uh, team fight tactics has millions and millions of players compared to um Dota Underlords which is like 20,000 or something like that. Uh, 20,000 is a hell of a lot. Yeah, but compared to Team Fight Tactics yes. it's peanuts. That's that's what I'm saying you'd normally think that would be a healthy number but and compared to what underlords actually started with which was something like two hundred thousand concurrent players uh it's not great after six months i don't um, know that
1: feels like a normal trajectory to me
2: yeah i don't know it's i i, I feel like it seems because it's not plateaued yet it's still going True. down um but like i mean these are obviously they're not mobas they're auto battlers but they're both spawned from mobas um And yeah, I think, I wonder if people are just sick of that trend and they're going to move on to the next thing. And I hope that next thing is not a traditional CNC-style RTS, but still a recognisable RTS. Something new, but still something from that genre, not some spin-off like a MOBA or something like that. Um, I I don't see how they're going to come back. Uh, It seems that people just aren't that interested in buying them. But then you get these little blips. Like I'm I'm pretty sure the the Age of Empires remasters have done pretty well and we've got a we've got a new one coming up as well. And I wonder if uh now's a good time for something like Age of Empires where it's more of a hybrid. It's like big 4X strategy style stuff is still pretty popular at the moment. Maybe something that merges Civ and an RTS is actually something that people are interested in again.
1: I I think they were really interested in that in 2003. (laughs) I think that's one of the best RTSs of all time, and I would love a sequel to that, but otherwise, yeah, ban the genre.
0: (laughs) I think think the RTS is actually just a really interesting place to look at. It, it, It feels like the RTS, in what happened to it across this last decade, and maybe a little bit more... There's some microcosmic elements of just things we saw across games in general. But like, Fraser, you led this off by talking about StarCraft II uh, mm-hmm. sort of being the biggest and having this really enduring popularity and being a pretty substantial success. And all of that is true, but it wasn't a big enough success for Blizzard, right? And so Activision, really. Well, yeah, increasingly, that is what we're actually talking about. Uh, and so by the end of the decade, that is absolutely what we're talking about. But... It sort of encapsulates as far as a business proposition. Starcraft II was a pretty good one, uh, but in terms of some, in terms of an investment expected to generate a certain amount of return, uh, in, a, in a for a company like Activision, Starcraft II was underwhelming. It was disappointing. It seems like we're not going to get another one of those for for a while.
2: I mean, underwhelming and disappointing doesn't get you multiple expansions, you know, it's like, I I, I think, (laughs) I think you're being a bit like extreme there. I I get it might have not been what Activision, the numbers that Activision won, but also it was around for years and had a pretty healthy scene. Um, And certainly like, you know, in comparison to any other RTS or indeed pretty much any other strategy game, it was very, very successful. But I, I I get now that it's yeah like, nobody I, I also talks about think it that, anymore.
3: <laughs> yeah, like I I think that the investors got don't don't really see the bigger picture and they kind of decided to throw it away too early. As somebody who was like heavily invested in the StarCraft Two Pro scene for like five or six years, um, that I mean that seems to be the general sentiment among people who were around for that era is that the support from the publisher wasn't really there when we would have wanted it to be, and they didn't really take a you-got-to-spend-money-to-make-money attitude to make it sustainable. Um, so I'm not sure if that was a lack well, of interest I, as much as like, oh well, Hearthstone's our new thing now, and like, okay, all the YouTubers who used to play StarCraft are going to pivot to Hearthstone, and this is big and exciting, and we're going to put all our weight behind this. And like, oh, let's do let's do a MOBA now. Let's shiny objects. Let's just keep the keep the thing moving, keep people buying more stuff. And uh, it paid and off t- with t- Hearthstone, t- but
2: not heroes of the storm which of course has been like just a bullet in the head which is a raw deal it's it's one of the only two good movies that were ever made (laughs) (laughs) and i am so sad uh i've tried all the other ones and they're all just shite but smite and heroes of the storm are fantastic this
1: is Um, not me saying it too so
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah i i feel so bad and and obviously it's still around it's still and it's it's more than just being maintained it's being actively like updated but the fact that they've just cut the pro scene entirely it's dead well then that's it that's the game dead because it's a moba for fuck's sake uh it's it boggles the mind and i feel really bad for all the the devs that actually worked on it uh because it does just seem like it wasn't given a real chance compared to Overwatch and Hearthstone, which has been—they've both been lavished with attention. Uh, Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Anyway, on you go.
1: (laughs) To, To to go to the macro element here, like one of the trends that we see across gaming is these, like you know, the mega publishers, the EAs, the Activisions, and so on and what they're looking for are living games with constant microtransactions that will just keep the money flowing constantly. They want everything to be FIFA Ultimate Team, and StarCraft 2 does not have that. Hearthstone does have that. World of Warcraft kind of sort of has that. Overwatch has that. So you see Blizzard, like, they obviously wanted Heroes of the Storm to have that, and we could talk about all the ways that they failed, but
3: well, and that's that's uh, the frustrating thing about Starcraft 2 is that maybe this was a Blizzard thing and not an Activision thing as weird as it is to say cuz we were saying for years, give us skins. Like we want we want to spend more money on this game so <laughs> you will put more attention towards the pro scene and keep this scene alive. We were like, give us give us stuff to spend money on. We'll spend money on it. Look at what Blizzard is doing with the Dota Compendium, which they kind of did their own sort of half-assed version of at some point. But yeah, that, I mean, that's fair, but it's like, yeah, we were asking yeah. for more well, stuff to spend money on but, yeah, but I, for I, a long to, time. To, I, to, I, just
1: to keep it bigger, though, like you see these major publishers, the huge ones, just generally getting out of even considering strategy games, um, with one exception, and that's Sega, who's like gone all in on it. But, uh, you I mean, know, it fell back into it, fell backwards yeah. into it almost, <laughs> is <laughs> the way <laughs> to put it, right? Well, yeah, to some extent, yes. But then they saw, you know, the endless games and they were like, okay, we want in on that. Uh, So, you know, it kind of goes both ways. But yeah, what you have is this sort of middle tier of publishers or rising tier of publishers who say, you know, we want to just make strategy games or we want to have a strong strategy game focus. And we are not going to demand that these things all make money like FIFA. Um, And that's... And you know, very good for your paradoxes, uh, and much less good for the traditional RTSs that they thought were money makers, uh, and have been have become like significantly less. So a- a- apart from the very biggest ones, like your StarCraft II.
0: Yeah, I, I think they. I think they just end up in a very strange place uh, in terms of who, like what it takes to build a good one what it takes to support one and then what the business model is i think i think the rts was one of the like was a genre that really quickly ran into problems with how you transition into something akin to a games a service model which i think it's sort of the live games right like that model we, we opened the show discussing uh that's not quite the same thing but it is in the ballpark, it is a game that continues to monopolize attention. It is a game that is like changing at a pretty regular and rapid tempo, and not in the sense of like just balance patches, but like the nature of the the game is changing. There is more stuff, there are more ideas in the game. I think the RTS is very traditional, right? I think a lot of us, the RTS remains a game where it comes in a box. It has its list of units it has its faction balance and we kind of want to get good at playing with the tools within that box uh and you maybe expect balance patches but you're not necessarily looking for the thing to be constantly flipped on its head uh on on a regular basis and i think this is one of the things that makes rts's just ends like ends up putting them in a weird position and i'm not sure to this damn, I'm not sure to what to what degree it is even fair to say RTS games stop being popular or 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 stop succeeding so much as it is they fail to grow with the rest of what is happening across across gaming. Right, that they, they fail to experience the same audience growth and begin servicing a Dwindling segment, but you know, Company of Heroes 2 feels like it made a pretty yeah. good go of it there for a while. Like, I like the weird thing is, as, as grim a decade as this was for the RTS genre, uh, maybe as, in terms of its place within games, I look at this list, it was a good fucking decade to be an <laughs> RTS fan, yeah. Well, it, like, I think
3: back on Deserts of Karak and I think back on Ardennes Salt, and I'm like, maybe. If they're not going the esports route, that's what what RTS's should pursue is like really highly produced, um, kind of I guess AAA single player campaigns. Because also they shouldn't go. I didn't even think that was an argument.
2: They should absolutely not follow. Like it feels like that shouldn't even be up for debate. That's just yeah. Well, because I think
0: that what we were saying about StarCraft like why did it feel like Blizzard's pulling resources early uh because most of the anxiety around StarCraft 2 was coming from the esports scene uh yeah. that that was a community that could never stop like Hearing the footsteps of the mobas closing in, and could ne- <laughs> and never stopped feeling like, oh, we are we are not getting the attention we should be getting, or we are not getting the responsiveness we should be getting, and so it ends up being a really negative, uh, it ends up being a really negative conversation. And I think this happens a lot with really intense competitive scenes, whereas I think slightly more chill scenes, it was just fun to play Deserts of Karak. North uh, yeah. Northgard was just a good time. Well,
3: the and the other thing is, we never got a Dota out of the StarCraft II scene, and I think a big part Thank of that wasn't, it wasn't that the well, it wasn't that the 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 modding resources weren't there. It's that they completely bungled the launch of the StarCraft II arcade in like the most, I guess, baffling but also sort of expected way possible, where they tried to turn it into this super curated thing. Uh, whereas I think if StarCraft 2 had just launched with the custom game browser from Warcraft 3, there would be a lot pe- more people still making and playing StarCraft 2 custom maps today.
2: I, I wonder actually how many people are, like, what's the population of StarCraft 2 at the moment? Because I bet it's actually pretty healthy for any other normal game. Like, I think we moved the goalposts for what a successful game is, because the esports stuff might have dwindled a bit. In the end, if you've got a game that loads of people bought that got like three big expansions and was written about and discussed for a whole decade a lot, uh, that would be a success by any metric. Yeah, I but- mean... They-
1: I don't think the issue is whether, like, StarCraft II was successful. I mean, to some extent, that's an issue for Blizzard, but the that the RTS went from being half of the strategy genre 10 years ago sure. to like StarCraft II and a couple other neat little things. Like, we, we have moved away from this model of the BaseCraft Builder and towards a much wider variety of things. And as Rob said, the RTS did not keep up with that growth. And that's fine by me. Like I'm, I'm happy to play these very good games, uh, that we do have, but I'm much happier to have like all these different forms of paradox style games and total war style games that did sort of exist before, but all the, you know, survival strategy and tiny strategy games and all these things that, uh, uh, you know, one of those clicks with me, maybe an RTS clicks with me. I don't know. But uh, yeah, StarCraft Two aside, you would not say that this has been a good decade for the genre, and even StarCraft II is dubious.
0: Yeah, except in that playing in the genres was yes. okay this decade. But some of that is also maybe pumped up by the fact that we have more things coming out that are maybe on that borderline of what an RTS um, is. Speaking
1: which I totally forgot on the list to include. They are billions, which is a very interesting
2: trend. Oh yeah, um, so they are billions was really really good until it was finished, and then they <laughs> added that campaign. And what a shit. nightmare!
0: <laughs> oh my god!
2: <laughs> but like they but call what, the concept the more old they are school, is... Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, a only... meaningless
0: garbage campaign, fluffed out <laughs> like th- that is so Age of Empires. It's it's incredible. It's like man, there are billions. What if this is a million missions long, and you're playing that... with three units for half of it?
2: One thing that's been really interesting about like the the modern Age of Empires, um, the the kind of remasters and the uh, more recent expansions, uh, is that. There's been a lot of effort into making the campaign missions very different very there's a good mix of kind of sandboxiness and scripted stuff uh and like they're throwing in just dramatic clashes and uh, it's it's some real epic stuff actually and some really weird interesting mission design uh so when i played uh age of empires 2 definitive edition uh it was i was really surprised to see the new like dlc that they'd added onto it um was like felt really quite modern actually uh obviously it helped that the game had been updated the ui the graphics it was all 4k fancy but it was the actual mission design that i felt made it feel more like a modern game rather than it's like the 97 uh version uh it's They're definitely worth a try. I'm not sure they always work. They feel like um, they're better than mods, (laughs) Uh, but they have that sort of rough edge experimental feel to them. Uh, But I don't really think the original Age of Empires campaign seemed that polished and high-end anyway uh so i don't think it's not like the bar well, you don't love high. a guy
0: with a broad french accent talking about <laughs> like following joan of arc into battle sacrebleu there she was lady that's one thing
2: i missed they updated all the voiceover, and no! the, voiceover all, the voiceover is all right now and i'm like no oh, it's not i don't it's want not that the worst thing it was it was like not monty python level uh bad anymore oh, uh, man. and i kind of miss it yeah, no one's doing, like, the dodgiest French accent you've ever heard. The uh, good old 90s. Got, they got a Frenchman in there. Uh, they've actually <laughs> got people from the right place. Disgraceful.
3: You could, play, you could play just absurd national stereotypes completely straight, and people wouldn't question it. The, the good old 1990s.
0: <laughs> a faraway period, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I also think we end up with things like... Uh, Certainly a a spin-off of the RTS genre that we've ended up spending a lot of our time playing around here, uh, has been stuff like, you know, we went from Ruse to the War mm-hmm. Game series to Steel Division. Uh yeah. which I think has been really effective at sort of getting away from what the the legacy of the base builder RTS. And getting closer to the fun, like, you know, this is a war game. Like, this is about pushing mm-hmm. cool units around and the way their weapon systems and tactics interact uh, without necessarily the hassle of always having to think back to. I think this, you know, every other RTS is always about oh, how's your macro, right? If you're watching your cool units having cool battles, you're probably not spending enough time back at the barracks, pumping more out. Uh, Whereas I think one of the charms of the war game series uh, is that you're mostly just focused on getting the most out of those units. Once you deploy them.
2: It has almost at times a turn-based pace. Um, It can be almost a little bit lackadaisical. Sometimes you it you can, Sort of just, you you can spend a little bit of time zooming in and just admiring things happening and your tanks going through the mud uh, and soaking up a bit of damage. Uh, yeah, it's very enjoyable. <laughs>
0: I swear, Fraser, one of the wildest things that we have, have on Steel Division 2 of late is at one point we were playing it on uh, with the 3MA group at some point, and we'd just gotten rocked. And we needed to stop and think about how we were going to fight on this map with a set of units. And we had, like, a 15-minute, like, meeting over Discord uh, (laughs) about, like, how we were going to play a map where sort of the fire missions were going to be who was going to be responsible for what sectors uh it was a weird and wild thing but it was one of the coolest collaborative you know that thing we're always talking about uh with like man it, we should we should play the the take command series or the uh the Scores of war series collaboratively uh where we're all like little generals fighting alongside each other uh steel division did an all right job like Bringing that into being, So of the war game series, uh, in part because they end up being really effective co-op RTSs, and maybe this was the thing that a lot of so many of these RTS games ended up funneling players down into a one v one model, where the idea is okay, these these are these are games about you know the, it's basically chess, uh, you know, two players head to head. I think one of the things that has been cool with things like the war game series uh and certainly steel division is that the way they're constructed is they encourage people to not just play head-to-head in many ways they become better if they're being played as part of teams
2: yeah the my favorite way to play um war and, and normandy 44 i haven't really played a huge amount of steel division 2 um it's the it's the ridiculous like ten v ten battles, um, just the scale of of, of them uh, and the, the size of the map, but also the feeling that when you're shit like I am, uh, it's nice to feel that there are like lots of other players to take up some slack. But also it's the ability to specialize uh, to just be like the artillery guy is quite nice. I enjoy hanging back and just bombarding things from a safe distance while people take the heat off me. It's a nice role, uh, and I, I love the scale that it allows you to have that role where it's like, oh I, I, as you said before, more like a war game.
0: Though I think what I, something I remember vividly is when we first discussed that game, I had been playing it 1v1, and I was like, guys, I'm not having fun like one I'm terrible which is not new but like <laughs> it feels pretty bad and I'm surprised by that and you were all saying oh no the way this game is meant to be played is as part of these teams like hey if you're if you're getting overwhelmed like it's fun just to be the artillery commander or the uh you know the the support uh commander which turned out to be true but I think it also pointed at something else which is that increasingly I over the course of this decade, I think I began to lose patience for games that were somewhat opaque or impenetrable or just resistant to uh, quick comprehension. And I think one of the things that got me early in Steel Division was that there was so much micromanagement required uh, that I was kind of put off the game. And I think this is, I think micromanagement has been the name of the game in the RTS space for ages. But one of the things that happened recently with Steel Division 2 is that they started automating a, a lot of functions. And that made a big difference for just about everyone in our group. But I think that it also points to a broader trend in strategy over this, over this decade, which is that these things really need to explain themselves. Like Already the age of the manual was coming to an end in the 2000s, but man, the, the need for a game to explain itself, to be parsable, really intensified this generation.
2: And people hate tutorials as well, so it's kind of got to be in a way where it's not like, right, before you enjoy the game, here's some shite for 20 minutes or something <laughs> yeah. and it's not going to be fun and it's going <laughs> to put you off the game but you'll know maybe 20% of what you need to know yeah there's got to be a better way um I, is there can you think of any real like it, not even just RTS but strategy game with like a really brilliant sort of effortless introduction to the game I mean I guess Company of Heroes is nice and like it's pretty uh,
0: yeah, so i, I went buy, back and i played company of heroes 2 <laughs> with folks a few months ago and it'd been long enough that i'd forgotten everything about company of heroes 2 i was like how the hell does this game work <laughs> like literally <laughs> how do you how does any of this fit together how do i how do i tech up what is happening in this game they had like because Company of Heroes 2 kind of condenses down some of the, the ways that you evolve your side in, in, in a traditional RTS, uh, I was sort of floored by how immediately impenetrable that game was. So, no, I, I, don't, think that, I don't
2: think that one gets the nod, Fraser. I'm, I, I'm curious. What, what does? <laughs> I'm really trying to think. Like There are plenty that are not that difficult to grasp, but where I'm actually to- something sticks out is good at teaching you how to play
1: to go back to the 4X and why the 4X became the default model of strategy games, Civilization has become really good at Being the strategy game that people who don't necessarily like strategy games are able and willing to commit to. And part of it is just that Civilization is just super pretty. Like, Firaxis has done a really good job of updating the aesthetics in the past few versions to make it a a generally great experience. But the nature of the 4X is that you start with a very small part of the map and you start with a very small range of choices... And as you see more of the map, you also get more choices. So your kind of understanding of the game world as your civilization expands is also the understanding that you can have over how the game works. Um, and that's part of the reason that, you know, people... Non-strategy game fans are still going to go go towards civilization, even if, you know, people like us will turn their nose up at it. And to some extent, RTSs have a similar kind of vibe if it's a 4X. They're like super fast 4Xs in certain ways. but well the and then also when you go over to survival strategy games they have a similar kind of feel where the possibilities that you get increase as the size of what you're dealing with increases they just are still working on getting that interface right but yeah the the 4x especially civ has maintained its power in part because they're actually really effective at training people to play the game just by the nature of the game
2: i think with survival strategy though it's uh, because i i don't think they're i don't think any of them are easy to get into at all um i think it's just that like when you fuck up in a survival strategy game yeah. it's part of the game it's like uh-huh. you like oh well uh, and you carry on so it's it's more like it expects you to fuck up so it's not that big a deal if you don't know what you're doing because uh, i think there are even something, well, I mean, especially something like RimWorld or Dwarf Fortress, right. very, very impenetrable. Uh, uh-huh. It's not something I would ever recommend to someone who's not really played much sort of strategy or management or anything. Like, I would find something a little bit simpler to to get them to ease them into the genre first. Um, right,
3: but then, like with Dwarf, Dwarf Fortress, when you when you screw up, it's hilarious. Like sure. most of the good Dwarf Fortress stories you hear are about how everything went terrible uh and, and i think but i Rimerald's think it could be more way, fun yeah.
2: if that happens when it like things can go wrong and fun emergent stuff can happen but you don't have to be clueless like i i don't necessarily like failing because i didn't understand the game uh although to you know you get used to it in survival strategy games i'm fine with it but i think there are better ways to get that kind of entertaining failure
1: Well, the, I mean, part of the reason I bring it up is because it has that appeal, right? Sure. Uh, Being willing, being accessible is half what, how the game actually, you know, the interface actually works. And half of it is, I want to engage with this. And, you know, something like well dwarf fortress like the interface part is a lot but even like a rim world you can start to parse it because you want to parse it you might not know how you should react but it has that appeal a crusader kings once you start getting into the story even if you have like i played a full you know 400 year campaign when it came out without knowing how to build buildings that was (laughs) fine i had a blast uh that part of the interface is still utterly bizarre, but Crusader Kings has <laughs> that appeal, even though its tutorial was pretty bad, and like, you know, I understand that it's gotten way better but like having played previous eu games like gave me a leg up into getting into that game but even like you get someone who understands you know this is going to create game of thrones like stories they're going to be more willing to to go into that so yeah interface on one hand is super important but also (laughs) what the what the game is actually convincing people to want to do is also part of it
3: I don't know what you're, what you're talking about with the building interface. You see, you've got a building tab, and then you've got a hospitals tab, <laughs> which is also your trade post tab if you're a Merchant Republic or if you own a Silk Road province. And then you've got your Great Works tab. Uh, and then if you're a Republic, you also have your Palace tab. Uh, it's only like six tabs you have to keep track of for buildings. I don't know why you're
2: you're dissing on the interface so much. Why would you not play CK2 if you weren't horny for tabs? Uh, I do <laughs> <laughs> understand. Among other things.
0: Look, the great, there's nothing more elegant than nesting things under tabs. And the more, yeah. like, the more, like, Matryoshka doll-like your interface becomes, <laughs> uh, the more tra- invisible and transparent it is, and the more enjoyable the game. It's um, great.
2: You're like, this seems really simple, and then 15 clicks later, you've ripped your hair out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this but- is
0: like this was kind of my experience playing oxygen not included to an extent i was like man what great tool tips hover <laughs> hover text appears mo- it refers to something else like i move the mo- mouse a pixel over the text completely changes and now i'm learning about something else and then it's like why don't you open this and then it's like oh there's so many tabs uh and that's that's been kind of my experience with a lot of uh it it's it's like tool tips were the one ring in, in, in some ways of <laughs> interface design. Like at the start of this decade, we are like, man, with these tool tips, uh, it's really making it so much easier to learn how to play games. Like they, they are cutting edge. And then by the, by the end of this decade, it's like, everything's got a tool tip. In fact, we're going to have multi-page tooltips. How about a tooltip that you have to scroll down to read, read the full tooltip? It's
2: a tooltip and or a tooltip. The linked tooltips are, are brilliant. Or, it's like you think you've read it. the lore tooltips in Pillars of Eternity? Yes. Yeah. I loved tip. that at the beginning, but by the end, I was like, off with this new country i'm not clicking on it i'm not reading another paragraph of some fantasy bullshit uh, uh, and i love that game hard disagree so much Fraser.
0: The <laughs> like as as a devotee of jonathan strange and mr N- uh, norrell i am all in on the lore tooltip as the equivalent of the like fan the the footnote to your fantasy book um, I, I like it but it that. just becomes
2: so over the top like there's it's it's, you know, the, uh, how you've got, uh, bre- a breast entry in Wikipedia. It's almost <laughs> like that level. <laughs> well, I think we got our day it. for the
1: show here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do it properly by making it funny, uh, like Disco Elysium does, and then allowing you to ask yeah. follow up questions to your actual knowledge skill. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think it's 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 a replacement for a manual, right? I mean, it's it's all these things that you would have used to have learned because you would read the thirty-page manual in class while you were waiting to go home and play your new game. Thirty-page that,
2: that was brief. That yeah, was I, small I, manual. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: clearly someone never played Fight Sims. Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's just a weird thing, and it's it's uh-huh. a different topic. But like, just how fractured the experience of learning a game is. Like, there's still so much that to really understand how a thing works. You do have to refer to the manual. You have to see that logic laid out.
2: I ask Um, you guys to be honest. That's what I do. I, <laughs> that's, I, I hop on Discord and see, because inevitably we're playing the same, same games, so I'll just have a look at what you're yeah. saying, and I'm like, oh, shit. So well, there's,
3: there's a reason that like almost half of the total revenue I've earned on YouTube over the entire time I've had a YouTube channel is from Hearts of Iron 4 tutorial videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, so to
1: go back to what Rob said about the uh, tooltips is actually one of the other important trends of the decade. It kind of leads that direction, because Like, I had a friend who was trying to play Darkest Dungeon on the Switch and was like, Oh my God, everything here is a tooltip and I have to read it all. And I'm like, No, you do not. Just click the sword thing and hit people until they're dead. Like, that's really all you got to do here. Do not read all of these things. But uh, one of the major trends that the tooltips kind of come out of or lead into at the same time is a trend in strategy games to be more transparent. And I talked about this in the a uh, game of the year show that is hopefully out by the time this one comes out. Uh, but like with civilization four, there's a famous example of they put uh, where they were testing the game. They put like all of the uh, um, diplomatic like feelings as a tooltip that you could hover over and see like, this guy is a negative 15 on you. He has a different religion, but he's far away. So your borders aren't causing things. You have a trade route with him and, like all those things. You could see how much each of those did. And that helped. And like the, the testers were like, you have to leave this in the game when they tried to turn it off. And that's been a core component of civilization since. And that's been a core component of strategy games rising through this decade, especially with something like Crusader Kings two, where, people's relationships with you and exactly what aspect of their relationships with you is totally transparent. And that's been a really good thing in a lot of ways, but also like it can backfire because you get this information overload.
0: Can we just pause here and say what a good job Three Kingdoms, Total War Three Kingdoms did at like achieving the pinnacle of a lot of these trends and like, really getting across a different sort of Total War game, uh, documenting it pretty well via tooltips and uh, other uh, sort of inline instructional elements, and making it all feel pretty seamless and and smooth?
2: There's notification overload, but you have a lot of options about how you get notifications and what notifications you get. And it's all kind of just off on the side as well. You can ignore all of that, but it all feels pretty elegant. Uh, I think in general, it doesn't fire too much information at you all at once. Um, I think it also helps as well that we're looking at the most beautiful map that Creative Assembly has made as well. So it kind of just, like, it's immediately makes, I think, having an elegant interface to match that immediately just makes it feel, like, really cohesive.
1: I mean, I think that aesthetics, having strategy games with really good aesthetics has been a major trend in the decade as well. Like, um, we haven't even mentioned... Shogun Two is a, a critical game. There, um we haven't even mentioned XCOM yet, which XCOM was a yes. crossover hit for a very traditional tactics game because XCOM established
2: War- a UI really because it's still very yeah. much in use in pretty much every tactics game.
1: Yeah, and like XCOM looked and felt like a Mass Effect or Gears of War tactics game, like mm-hmm. it. It felt good to play and the graphics are not like stunningly great, but like they did their job at the animations and the sounds and all the kind of
2: feedback that you get. Uh, they age well as well, actually like, cause there is that cartoony element to them that I think ha- like now going back to the original x about uh, it still looks pretty good. I think it's certainly going to age better than um, like the original UFO unknown.
3: Well, and I think we saw like a, a, a very like significant ramp up in visual fidelity for genres that normally don't pay a lot of attention to that like you know grand strategy and war games in particular if you just look at you know every paradox game in order just post a screenshot of each just how much better looking they got uh you know release after release after release and like I'll be the first first to admit, I'm shallow. I didn't ever look twice at Victoria 2 because it looked like an ugly game that I didn't want to play with ugly you, menus and an ugly dirt map. Bag. <laughs> <laughs> I went back and played it later and really liked it. Uh, but yeah, even CK2 at first, which is now my game of the decade, I was like, I don't know, this kind of looks like garbage. Uh, EU4 was probably the like first the one that I still like the original
2: CK aesthetic. <laughs> 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 which like, is like, not like helpful at all. It's such a bad one to use for a yeah. game. But it looks like a lovely map that I might have in my flat to show sure that <laughs> I'm learning.
3: <laughs> there you go. Uh but yeah I, I feel like the the fact that these games started to look more modern and started to pay more attention to things like sound design and um, you know, good design principles in, in your menus, uh particularly with Three Kingdoms. Um. yeah, I think that has a major effect on making the genres more approachable to people who might not have looked at them previously. And, uh, to give a particular shout out to Amplitude on how they did the,
1: have done their interface things, and especially with Endless Legend, both the map and just how this is a weird-ass science fantasy game that seems really appealing because that's a company that really wanted to focus on making their games feel uh like aesthetically valid as well as being good strategy games that play that way like that i think they've been uh you know alongside for access and creative assembly have have really pushed that
2: yeah it's like i think all of the the endless games i think going back to the first endless space as well actually had a, a very clean uh ui uh not as good as the later ones but it was basically kind of going for the same thing i think it's really minimalist but at the same time you look at the map and the interface and you immediately have pretty much all the information you need from just some icons and numbers that are pretty clear uh and i don't think that can be said for any uh 4x games even now
0: uh Rowan, I'm just gonna throw this in here 'cause cause you highlighted and we had an exchange about it. Uh God games. Yeah. Like that was never like that was never particularly my passion. I know there's people who love those games. Uh for me the God game died with a really unwise purchase of black and white. Um, <laughs> didn't do one baby. die
2: right there as well. Uh,
0: yeah, I was like, man, it's gonna be great. I'm gonna teach my fucking like divine tiger it just like fuck up these these villagers and then it just sort of turned into an animal cruelty simulator and i was still not <laughs> having it uh but but rowan what what happened in that space this decade like talking about d- genres that f- not a lot happened and certainly not a lot good happened uh god games. Well, 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 the, the god game has like always been built on peter molyneux right like
1: he's the you know god of the god games and he had kind of an off decade <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's been more than a decade
3: uh, i think the, the yes. last good god game was popular beginning be the... in
2: 1998 but this has been the decade where it's really all fallen apart for Pierre. i think yeah <laughs> uh, but like i find like
1: if we want to talk about Paths Not Taken, like, Godus is one of the stranger games of the decade, and I, like... It's not even
2: strange, it's just shit.
1: But (laughs) it's strange because it's shit. It's like, here we have a guy, you know, one of video games' great visionaries and less great at other things, uh, who tried to take, like, this genre that he had built up, the God game, the idea that you are, like... Some sort of being that's being worshiped, or you're connected to a being that's being worshiped, and like turning that into a strategy, attaching religion and aesthetics and all these things that, like, the idea of what black and white should have been, the idea of what populace should have been, uh, and then just turning it into the most bullshit, mechanical, boring as hell, carpal and tunnel inducing would be mobile, like ipad game where you just tap bubbles over and over until you can do something new is like here we have all of the trends in strategy games that could have become huge like maybe that gets released on mobile in a way that has a monetization thing that turns it into the new candy crush but instead it's an epic disaster and good uh and like the idea maybe it sets back strategy games in mobile spaces or you know in accessible spaces that could be made mobile because it is just not a good game at all but like you see you see all these various trends of trying to make accessibility and trying to make simplicity and trying to make something that you can make a lot of money off of over and over and it's just turns out to be a disaster and you know he's basically out of the industry like there are those articles about the guy who uh Won the curiosity thing oh was my supposed god.
2: to become uh-huh. the god, uh, and oh god and like uh, I, Someone just... else put him in a game in the end. That another was... company ended up giving him that prize. Subplot
0: <laughs> of the decade, though. Hands yeah. down. The... No, go for it.
1: So, yeah, yeah, I mean, th- there are other interesting things. Like, I liked Reus uh, or Root. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to give Reus. it two syllables. Yeah, Reus, yeah. like they, Yeah, uh, I liked it. It was, like, kind of messy. And it was one of those games that had, like, way too many tooltips and was, you know, over, over-informationed you and finicky because of that. Sort of like Civilization ended up becoming. But, like, that was a decent idea. And then they went and tried to make another god game that was... Kind of like Goddess, that it was just incredibly mechanical, with no sense of joy or fun behind well, it, and between, now that company's closed.
2: That. In between, they had the uh, the other game, what is it, it called? Explorers. Yeah, and wait, is that um, Abbey? What's Abbey? I think something? so. It's closed. Liked... Yeah, they closed because that God game was a disaster. Oh man, yeah, it wasn't. I played a tiny. I was really excited about it because the previous two games had been great. Uh, that's disappointing. But we skipped over it. But um, Goddess didn't actually just die. It spawned an RTS as well. You might what? not have played it. Uh, it's called Goddess Wars. And it's also really shit. Uh, <laughs> and it's got all the same problems. It's this stupid clicky RTS that's really simple. Because that's what people want from this genre that's had hardly any games. This really stripped down, simple, truly hideous looking game. Uh yeah, it was garbage. Uh I don't think very many people played it. Uh but yeah, if you want it, it's still in early access. Uh and has been since 2016. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> that is that, that is grim. Uh it's it's funny like the the nostalgia wave brings back like re, like tons of good remastered editions. We got a lot of great remastered RTSs. But in terms of the track record of like Formerly beloved or iconic game designers stepping back into the ring. Not a great decade for the comebacks, right?
3: No, uh, no. So, um,
2: sorry, maybe Warren. just old people are bad.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you want to get back into get back into game design? Okay, boomer. Yeah,
0: <laughs> there's. Yeah, there there's there's a lot of elements of it it seems like a very tough thing to step back into given the pace of change and just like the institutional knowledge of how game development works on different platforms and different tools. Uh it seems like a tough thing to to spin back up if you've if you've been away from from it uh for a bit. Uh I'm looking at the tactics list, by the way. We're talking about XCOM and I like Easily the, probably the most influential and important tactics game of the decade, maybe, but I'm looking I mean, at this maybe, list.
2: Maybe strategy game? I mean, I don't know. Like, it's been an, a pretty good decade for tactics games. I think just XCOM in general has just been part of like, the discussion around games for the whole decade, basically. But, or at least, what, eight, nine years.
0: But my feeling is there's been so much imitation of XCOM... And I feel like there's just so many good ideas that there, there's so much other quality imitation uh, we we could be seeing out there. Uh, where where are the people ripping off uh, Battle Brothers? Where are the people building a Fire Emblem style visual novel campaign I
2: around a Battle Brothers style game? They're like three thousand. 000- games on steam every five seconds i bet all of these things are being catered (laughs) to the problem right now is just well that's again the discoverability issue issue? exactly which is probably the biggest issue with the the decade really actually for pc games uh it's like how hard it is actually to find these games and like our inboxes are all going to be filled with stuff we just end up overlooking just because it's impossible uh to keep up with them and i bet there are actually quite a few really interesting strategy games that we've just not seen and nobody's seen uh that well, worries me well they
1: one of the other issues here is that like if we go over to the next game on the tactics list darkest dungeon like one of the things that i have increasingly realized is i have been getting excited about all these darkest dungeon likes and none of them come anywhere close to scratching the same itch and i Trying to figure out, like, what is it about that particular Darkest Dungeon thing that made that work where all these other ones didn't quite do that? And XCOM has been more significant, including, you know, with Darkest Dungeon, but are more successful. uh, But like, you know, sometimes we think that we want these games to be tremendously influential, and then maybe they actually should just be unique little weird bullshit things that we love.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I wonder how much of it is specifically in the case of XCOM uh, likes is this sort of desire to to cater to the old guard, which mm-hmm. I wasn't on the Phoenix Point episode, but I listened to the Phoenix Point e- episode recently, and you know I think there there are probably problems with that, maybe even with Xenonauts that come from. We're, we want to not be new XCOM. We want to, you know, cater to this group of people who are vocal, but maybe aren't necessarily that numerous, uh, who have all these issues with the new school tactics games. And, um...
0: Just put Dan know, Stableton on blast over here. Just, <laughs> hey, Dan, sit down. Um, Signed, and, and, TJ. You know,
3: it, it, it's 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 almost counterintuitive in a way because I also think that, that games like XCOM and, you know, Dark Souls, which I'm not going to get through a, a, an episode where we discuss roguelikes without mentioning Dark Souls at least once, even though it's it's not a strategy game where I think those games were kind of successful because partly they tried to go back to an era where games were a little more punishing and and a little bit less, you know, mass market approachable. Um, but then I think you can go too far with that as well.
2: Um, well, it's so really you'd... insufferable. I kind—I love <laughs> Dark Souls, but the amount of pricks it created. Yeah, um, yeah. Like it really, its its a kind of Rick and Morty thing, isn't it? I love exactly, Rick and Morty. Exactly and now it makes like want to vomit. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah,
3: I love—I love Rick and Morty. I love Dark Souls. <laughs> I do not like the communities for either wow. of them particularly much.
0: Uh, Rowan, I mean, this seems. A- <laughs> Dovetail with one of the things you cited as a trend, which is this notion that, like, there is, in fact, a way games like this are meant to be played. And it's Iron Man.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, that's actually one of the trends that, like, you know, uh, Iron Man was like a social thing that people would do in, yeah. in previous games. Like, it was, all right, I'm going to try to do this without ever reloading. And that'd be like a thing that you would talk about on the forums at the best way to and do that. And it was that.
0: crazy because that's not how PC games worked. It is right. like good luck because nothing's balanced for that.
1: Right. And this is a thing that, like, Especially because of the roguelike influences. We saw uh games that were designed specifically for that, like Darkest Dungeon, which like that is a game that is not designed to be reloaded, and it's much better for that. But then you have something like XCOM, which tries to play it both ways. But then you have something like the Paradox games that like they encourage you to try to play Iron Man, even though they're not necessarily games that are des- designed that way, but just so that you could get those achievements, which is a very strange trend. I'm not sure I'm not sure. How much I agree with it, but I can kind of understand why you would do that with certain aspects of that fan base. Uh, But yes, a a trend to have Iron Man initially be like an option that you can choose, but then also increasingly with uh, the connection of of roguelikes to. Being The way that these games are designed and uh, just going to a, a bigger difficulty question in general, like an intentionality in what is the core unit of difficulty or a lack of intentionality in, in the case of XCOM, which I've talked about a whole bunch, but uh, something like Darkest Dungeon is very intentional. You are supposed to get through the dungeon. It's not the individual fight that you go through. It's not beating the whole game. It's you're trying to get through each dungeon one at a time and those things will build up, uh, which um definitely creates a lot of interesting kind of design trajectories and choices and then when you take it over to survival strategy games like one of the big differences between those and a traditional city builder is you are kind of supposed to lose and you're kind of supposed to lose in that you are supposed to play on iron man and lose hilariously and go and try again the next time and that's, you know, what Dwarf Fortress and Rimworld are based on. And October not Included is kind of partially based that way. Uh and this this becomes uh one of the major kind of social trends in the genre and then a development sort of trend where you see people like the uh you know Xcom developers saying that it's meant to be played on Iron Man and then us here at 3 ma being like that is total bullshit you that game is not at all designed to be played on Iron Man uh and that's part of the reason that like we struggle with Xcom and Xcom 2 in the late game is that it gets to be like so overwhelming and not de- not developed for that so
2: yeah And if it was meant to be Played on Iron Man, it would be the default setting. It's not that it's an optional thing for an additional challenge. Like the, yes. I, I think they're just retconning their game to sound. It makes it sound like a dick measuring contest whenever like yeah, someone yeah. boasts about Iron Man um, well, or about how hard their who's game who's putting is. Dan
1: Stapleton on blast?
3: <laughs> well, it's, it's exactly oh no, it's exactly the same thing as as a carnival barker saying, you know, I bet you can't. Hit this thing and make the thing go all the way up and ring the bell. Like it's a marketing tactic. They want to. They want to take people who who you know don't like having their egos bruised and be like, "Hey, I bet you can't beat our game on Iron Man. That's the real way to play." Like I don't think like that's in Darkest true. Dungeon, it's not. It's yeah.
2: <laughs> the core way to play the game. It's not like an additional mode. Right. And It would be yeah. weird yeah. to not like to like to save scum in Darkest Dungeon. It would just the game would be shit. Wow. Um, it, I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm being unfair. But I, I don't it, think. I,
0: I don't think the massive backslide, like after two bad runs, like the the back to back wipe experience in Darkest Dungeon is pretty demoralizing. There, sure, there are, but it's meant there to be a demoralizing game.
2: I mean, I guess like having the option is always nice. I just feel like that's yeah. the na- yeah. that it makes sense when that's the optimal way to play. it, Whereas with something like XCOM, it seems just wild to claim that.
0: Well, I think there's an element here of we were talking about how do we learn games one of one of the questions is is a game meant to be sort of played through once as an experience you sort of learn as you go and that is the arc of the game and by the end of the game you sort of you sort of you you're uh your final exam, your demonstration of mastery is to beat the final sequence of missions or something. That's that's a traditional model, certainly. I think where the Iron Man discourse goes wrong is there's so many of these games that you don't know how they work until you've gone through them a few times and made mistakes, recovered for them, done that trial and error thing, and then you it kind of clicks. And I think what is kind of toxic about the uh, Iron Man discourse, and... Uh, it, strategy games are a different thing than uh, sort of Souls-likes, and and so I can't speak to that, but in, in the strategy space, what the sort of encouragement to higher difficulty levels, what the encouragement to the uh, irrecoverability of mistakes that, that Iron Man engenders, is it short-circuits your ability to learn the game, and it makes the process of learning much less fun. Strategy games are meant to be experimented with. You're meant to make mistakes and see if they are recoverable and then reload uh you know from from a good from from a good bookmark you left yourself. I think mean, those are all good ways to to learn games. And if you are going to remove that as an option, you really need to have tuned the game then so that process of learning through failure is fun in the iron man Uh, in the Iron Man framework.
2: If you're not safe-scumming in Battletech, you just don't love your mechs enough. Because, (laughs) like, letting them die when you just, at a click of a button, can bring them back and reload the game is monstrous. Yeah, I
1: mean, so this depends on the game, though, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, of course. Battletech, like, if you're playing the, especially the plot version, um, sorry, I got an echo on myself, uh, Yeah, BattleTech. If you're playing like the plot version, like those plot missions are insanely difficult at times, and behemoths will die so much. But Mm -hmm. uh, when you play like the the new version that they added with the expansions, where it's without the plot, you're just kind of being a regular mercenary. Like I prefer to play the the Iron Man ish mode on that way because it becomes about being the mercenary. And then like if you flip over to Battle Brothers, like that is. I had the exact opposite experience of what Rob was just describing with Battle Brothers, where I did not enjoy the game or learn the game when I was playing it, like on a regular reload your game mode when i started playing that on iron man and when my decisions really mattered a lot and when i was just like all right this this run's done let's on to the next one over and over again yeah. that's when that game started clicking for me so i think it really depends on the game the game mode sure. yes. all these things like i th- well, there I'm- is a very toxic discourse about difficulty that goes on, but I don't think that Iron Man is good or bad in these in these ways necessarily fits into that terribly easily. Well, it's surprising
2: think... how well it works in, in games like CK2, because I think it serves yeah. a narrative purpose there, yes. because it's it makes you think, oh, it's not about the victory. I think it actually emphasizes some of the things that we already really like about CK2. Um, I don't really give a shit about achievements, so I'm not doing it for that. I do it because, honestly, it's just nice to go with my mistakes and not have the temptation to just reload and see what other crazy shit happens with my cursed dynasty.
3: Yeah, well, and the other thing is tone, too, I think. Like, the the either <clears throat> implicit or, you know, explicit tone can affect how I perceive failure quite a bit. Like, I talked about in Dwarf Fortress, it, it kind of has this detached irreverence to it, so failure mm-hmm. is kind of hilarious. In XCOM, and even in Darkest Dungeon, I don't find failure as entertaining because it feels like they take themselves a little bit more seriously... And so failure just feels like failure. It doesn't feel like, you know, this this sort of, um, you know, this moment of comedy. Um, but then I think you can go the other direction with it, too, because I haven't played a lot of Oxygen Not Included, and I think it's a fairly decent game from what I have played of it, but I think it tries to play too much into the, oh, it's going to be really hilarious to fail, and, you know, we're going to build in all of this sort of, uh, you know, upfront humor to it that, like... I don't find it as entertaining to fail in that game as I would in Dwarf Fortress because Dwarf Fortress is just kind of aloof and ridiculous and Oxygen Not Included feels like it's trying too hard to make
0: your failures funny. So I think... Yeah, is there like an aesthetic of the failure spiral that's come, that's come into being yeah, in survival uh-huh. strategy? Rowan, Rowan, I'm curious what you make of that.
1: I mean, I think Oxford.include is weird because it's not actually that funny when you have the failures. Right. Like in yeah. Rimworld and Dwarf Fortress, it's usually like you have this complex system and there's one little person there who's fucked up and like they, you know become a megalomaniac and demand every dwarf build a statue of them before they do their job. And that job happens to be the thing that feeds your entire community. Like that's funny where oxygen not included, like it has that aesthetic, but the game specifically itself is not about that individual failure point. It's about a general, like you have an ecosystem that's slowly declining for some reason. Um, So yeah, it, it just happens to be, I think the combination of how that game works and, clays uh general aesthetic mode as opposed to like them super trying to make it hilarious to fail in that way when
2: that's just not
1: the way the game kind of ended up going
2: the joke and oxygen not included is just p that that's <laughs> it it's the yeah. like one joke <laughs>
3: uh I mean, yeah, the other ck2 is is very much the same where failures in ck2 can be hilarious because of an intersection of systems that weren't necessarily designed to create
0: humor is there a I'm looking at like the city builder genre, which had a sort of a decline and then resurgence uh, in this period. But then I think has ended up, it's a genre that's always had kind of a weird relationship with what failure is and what the consequences of like mismanagement are or should be. Uh, But I think one of the things that like Frostpunk is a small game. It is, you know, it, it's a very much a narrative survival strategy game that wants you to complete it. It wants to to have you finish its missions and complete a run. Uh, but when I look at, when I look at city builders, I definitely think I had this love affair with city skylines where I was like, ah, now this is city building. And then I was like, no, but I want, I don't want things to just hum along frictionlessly if I know I'm not being a an effective planner or manager. And I feel like that was something that I was chafing against a lot in this period when it came to like city builders or city managers. Play Worker and Parasite. Great city builder. Soviet. Parasite? Parasite. <laughs> What workers, was it? And workers and resources. resources. What? Yeah, so workers
1: <laughs> and resources. Was that a
2: pun?
0: Were you, was that, were you? on another level of irony? Or <laughs> no, that's a, it's a, that's a
1: Simpsons reference. This, that's the itchy and scratchy that they imported from. Uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. The USSR uh, when they lost the rights. yeah. Perfect. That's what I Troy think... calls it.
2: The thing yeah. with City Skylines is that it's like a it's a really good fantasy of building a city and running a city and making your city look pretty and the like the mods I think for me it have made it a platform basically for building your sort of dream city. It's almost got a a sort of Sims like air about it in how I play it where it is like a dollhouse thing rather than me wanting a management challenge and there's definitely been like a dearth of those kind of games i think surviving mars actually had a lot of interesting like management quirks that i you wouldn't normally find in another city builder i actually think it's one of the best survival management games um i don't think the actual like individual colonists you have had enough identity or and they just weren't kind of dynamic or interesting enough. But I think the actual like cities itself, the infrastructure that you build, and all the Martian tech that you're developing was really cool. And with the green expansion, green planet expansion, where you could basically just terraform the whole place and turn it into this lush paradise, um, painstakingly over many, many, many hours and failures, was was absolutely brilliant. It felt like a, a colossal task that reminded me a bit of. The first time I built a properly massive pyramid in Pharaoh when I was a kid, which felt like insurmountable, uh, even though it was actually really quite simple. You just needed a bunch of stone. Uh, but it was just the the effort that went into it. when is <laughs> like...
0: ready for his appearance on the History Channel. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Just> <laughs> a <bunch of> stone. <laughs> it, it took a
1: lot of economic capability to have those that many workers yeah, to you had to have to this infrastructure
2: it's... first it was like the sort of it's it was the boss of pharaoh basically you, you had to defeat it by building it um and i think there's a lot of that in surviving mars and i love that you everything you're doing feels monumental and Jesus Christ, this is such a big thing. This is like, I'm having to set aside a a, a day to really uh, delve into this and build this new section of my colony. Uh, it's like, actually, I think one of the most successful examples of survival management. It's, pretty easy to pick up in the beginning. It gives you like a nice leg up, because you don't have colonists to look after at first. I think that's maybe one of the key things that it does to make that like landing a little bit smoother. You have not that much to worry about in the beginning. You are preparing everything for your colonists. And then when they come in, it all just goes to fuck. Uh, but it's <laughs> it's nice while it lasts.
0: <laughs> Alright, so as, as we wind this down, like we've got all these sort of subsets of strategy and tactics games and management games uh you know in front of us we've been sort of thinking about what what this decade has has brought us and maybe before we wrap up here, we should just sort of try to see if we can agree on what the what the what the highlights were i'm I'm not sure we can achieve consensus, but we might as well take a stab <laughs> at it uh uh here so in terms of uh you know let's start simple here like the small like what, what rowan he has here is like the micro strategy games uh are there any that really stand out for you that as as sort of the pinnacle my mine is absolutely adam zombie smasher for me adam zombie smasher remains a perfect game uh a perfect experience a perfect experience uh is into that the breach
2: because it's can... not like it is quite small. I feel mm. like it's a pocket-sized game, but it's also it counts, like yeah. massive and complex. I, I, if...
1: I think when when David Martinez from Raw Fury sent out the email where he said, "Oh, here's Bad North. It is a micro strategy game." He included into the breach in that, so uh, we could <laughs> we could perhaps shift it. Because if it,
2: if it if it's included, then it's got to be that. It's just we haven't actually spoken about it on this show, but like it, it's just astounding. Uh, I, I actually have it on Switch because it's nice to just be able to take it with me everywhere. Um, and I, I adore dipping into it. It's just so elegant and simple, and yet I obsess over it. Every move seems this, like, life or death thing. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. Honestly, think it's it's definitely the best tactics game of, of the decade. I... Uh
1: would want to give a shout out to mini Metro into the breach is probably technically better, but mini Metro is just an adorable little, you know, mobile level strategy game where you build new transit maps for major cities, new, new subways or whatever. And, uh, uh, I just think that it is a wonderful little aesthetic experience and a pretty good little strategy game as well. That actually functions on mobile as a good game instead of a cynical cash in.
3: I'd say FTL uh, would probably be my my shout-out for MicroStrategy. Um, it's it's kind of an RTS, but more interesting is kind of the strategic aspect of, you know, how long you want to spend in a system, uh, how many quests you want to do, how many resources you want to pick up, and kind of that, that ticking clock, that Langolier-esque, uh, you know, shadow that's following you um, of, of the Rebel fleet. Um, I thought that was a really interesting one. It feels like it's not really micro anymore, but once we're putting Into the Breach in there, we
1: kind of have to. I so. was going to
3: say, I mean, <laughs> FTL and Into the Breach are kind of on the same scale. So if one of those is micro strategy, the other one probably is.
0: Uh, in terms <clears throat> of uh, like survival strategy, uh, sort of in a new space, what was, what was your highlight?
1: Unfortunately, it's got to be Rimworld. Um, we've covered why that's unfortunate many times. The designer is kind of a jerk, but... Yeah, in terms of making the good parts of Dwarf Fortress accessible, uh, reasonably accessible, while while being a story generator, while having an interesting science fiction setting, like all these things just come together really marvelously well at generating the sort of ridiculous stories or sweet stories or strategic triumph or failures. Um, Yeah, it's got to be one of the, the top games of the decade overall
2: for me, it's a it's a toss up. I think between RimWorld but uh, and uh, Surviving Mars. Uh, since Rowan's already gone for RimWorld, I'll just say, uh, Surviving Mars for reasons I've already <laughs> uh mentioned. Yeah. I would uh,
0: just include a shout out here to Thea. Uh, and I didn't play Thea, oh, too, yes. so I, I didn't make time. I did. I did not make time for that. I forgot Thea. had a lot of potential to grow. I think the thing that brought me down on Thea a lot was that. Failure was punishing enough that it sort of, I felt funneled into playing a really risk averse style of play. Uh, because if things were getting dicey, it could start to, again, snowball in a way that was really not fun for you at the time. But I thought the- Thea was doing really interesting things in terms of melding together card driven combat, uh, sort of RPG party building, and then putting that all in the framework of managing and uh growing a small settlement in this post-apocalyptic world and having tons of weird cool like paradox-style events happen along the way that was just there like Fae is a game I played uh you know probably only like 20 20 or so hours of uh a number of years ago it's a game I think about surprisingly often I think I'm going to have to go uh
3: uh, you know, excluding what's already been mentioned probably with late-stage capitalism. Um, I think <laughs> it's going to continue to evolve and, and present us with interesting choices in the 2020s, but the 2010s we really kind of started to feel it more uh, in the first world. So, um, yeah, that's my survival strategy game of the decade. Uh...
0: Perfect. Uh, <laughs> great. Uh, City Builders. <laughs> I
2: skylines for me probably i mean i it's i i'm looking for something else now uh, <laughs> i've had i'm sniffing around i haven't Ready to move on. played yeah i haven't played the the latest or i think the last couple of dlcs because i just every time i hopped in again i was like i've done everything i really wanted to i played the heck out of it i've got so many mods but i've I've built what I wanted to build and I'm looking for something kind of dramatically different now. But definitely of the decade, just what a game. It was the the thing that we wanted SimCity to be so desperately and it failed so hard. And like, I don't know if, if really Skylines would have had been the massive success it did without it wouldn't have if sim city had been good it certainly wouldn't have but even if there if there'd not been a a sim city to make us so disappointed um i'm not sure it would have had the impact but i'm really glad it did
1: i actually probably have to go with banished here although that could be survival strategy that's sort of the way i played
2: it like those. those it's definitely are a survival very... strategy game it was like i consider it one of the like first survival strategy game but type. it's also so guess,
1: a, a fairly clear city builder directly. It's like a hard sure. city builder, which but like, so is like are...
2: surviving Mars technically.
1: Yeah, but Surviving Mars was actually kind of uh, easy is not quite the right word, but it's less punitive. I don't know. it's it's less brutal, ve- but I think yeah, it's the, very the, like you permeable. can come back from it in a way that you could not with Banished. Yes. Uh but like Banished was a very simple, very tough, but very simple initially little strategy city builder thing that once you figured it out, it could be pretty easy. But like that process of figuring out how to survive those tough winters and how to escalate your economy when you needed to do that and diversify it and, you know, build little extra parts of it was like the, the what I want out of the city builder kind of distilled into a, a nice little, uh nice little package that I wish still worked on my computer and stopped for some reason.
0: (laughs) So this isn't, it's it's its own genre at this point. The Totals War, uh as as <laughs> as Rowan put it down on the page here. Uh we that's right, gonna get bloody. Okay, so <laughs> things that came out this decade in the Total War series Napoleon, Shogun Two, Shogun Two Fall the Samurai, Rome Two, Attila, two Total Warhammer games, and three kingdoms. And Plus Thrones of Britannia and yeah. like all those other ones, but yeah, we're, we're not we, going uh, to put those on the pet. Who's going
2: to say Thrones of Britannia? Not even me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we know what's at the bottom here.
2: Mm,
0: I think we do.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know what? Even I'll even like, yeah. Even I'll say Red Two. Even I I'll never actually too. played Napoleon, but I like the like, because the thing about Napoleon is it was like after Empire, which was just. Too big. Yeah. Um, Napoleon was brilliant because it was tiny. It was this condensed. It had a like this queer like narrative progression. It was yeah. It, Proper it was
0: uniforms a... looked cool <laughs> as hell. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, <it laughs> oh was... my
0: god, the the grenade throwing grenadiers though still kills my soul, Fraser. If I'm being <laughs> if I'm being honest, like, are those are those your
1: uh, your Egyptian chariots? Yeah, I can't.
0: I'm just. It, they're salt troops, but they weren't. They they weren't running around with like it says. Warner Brothers, in name, bombs Rob. in their hands. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. Like it, it almost drops it down below Rome two, but no, uh, I'm I'm not that sick.
2: Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Rome two's got to got to be at at the bottom, even though it had some great uh, DLC. Um, I the top Ooh. is like I think it's. God, I love uh, all like, these I'm games. I'm currently man. playing Three Kingdoms, and so for me, it's like, oh, Three Kingdoms is fucking amazing. But I also recently was playing a heck of a lot of Total Warhammer 2, and yeah. it's really fucking amazing as well. And do you uh, remember how good Shogun
0: 2 was? I was just thinking Sh- Shogun 2. I know. I know. Shogun 2. Fall of the Samurai yeah. was amazing.
2: It's like one of the best expansions. So can we not just say, like, Fuck. all of those ones? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if if
3: I had to pick one, I'd say <laughs> Warhammer 2. Um, I do want to yeah, give a shout out to it... Attila, because I loved Attila's campaigns Attila's, so Attila's much. Fantastic! Uh, the battles were not the greatest in the world, uh, but it's probably my, you know, it's my favorite era, and I loved the way they modeled it. Um, but it had yeah, the best Warhammer II, right.
2: Warhammer 2 has to take the cake for me. It helps that you've also caught, I mean, because especially now that they've uh, done some wizardry with uh turn times yes uh like mortal empires because mortal empires like was too long and really unbalanced but i didn't really care about the balance i was just like this is just crazy fantasy warhammer madness and i adore it and now that i can play it without reading a book in between each turn (laughs) it's a real joy i i love it so much so i think with warhammer 2 it it's so linked to Warhammer 1 that the two are inseparable for me uh, because of, of Mortal Empires. So I think doing that may maybe just puts it on top, but Three Kingdoms is so good. Yeah, I, I'm
1: going to just have to say that my Three Kingdoms fandom... Having that game come out and be as amazing as it was beyond even, like, this is a good Total War game, this is a good Three Kingdoms game, like, this is the perfect melding of—no, not perfect, there's a lot of uh, minor issues with it, but this is, like, an ideal melding of these two things that I have liked for decades, um, so— yeah it might be some recency bias, but I don't think it's totally that uh i I could be tilted to Shogun Two, which I do think definitely has the best battle system of any of them, but uh three Kingdoms campaign is just yeah. everything I wanted
0: Rowan I was almost there. I was almost like Shogun Two is such a gorgeous <sighs> game. it has such good battles. if you include like if you if you fold fall the samurai into that Shogun Two gets real close but there, but then I thought about the strategy layer and yeah. just yeah. how many problems Three Kingdoms solves. And the minute I thought about like Realm Divide or running agents around the map in Shogun <laughs> 2, I was just like, I can't not like this hasn't happened often in Total War, but like Three Kingdoms is one of those games that makes it really tough. It does make it tough to go back. Like, I can still have fun with those games. But in terms of what represents like actual maturation refinement of a design it's got to be Three Kingdoms in, in a I'll, way that the others can't compete with
3: I'll go where you wouldn't and say that it is hard to go back to Shogun 2 not follow the Samurai necessarily but the Vanilla Shogun 2 campaign I I tried to replay it in like 2017 and I just wasn't feeling it
2: Can I say Total War Warhammer with Three Kingdoms Diplomacy say? <laughs> <laughs> So you're that holding out lovely. for Total Warhammer 3. I'm being like... totally, I am absolutely holding out for that. like I know there's a, there is actually like a bunch of cross-pollination between the teams. Um, even though they often are making their games like concurrently. Um, so things aren't always fleshed out. Um, and I, So I've got to believe that they're going to take all the great shit that worked from Three Kingdoms and apply it to Warhammer. I actually think maybe that's why we've not heard anything about Total War, Warhammer 3, because they're going to make it the best one.
0: <laughs> Alright, well, Fraser now just writing development fanfiction uh, <laughs> over here. Uh, in, in terms I'm going to of... write
2: that on PC Gamer, and then it'll be fact. <laughs> uh,
0: to move along here, let's fold war games into one big category. Um, what in terms of war games, what really stood out for y'all? I didn't really play anything that could be
3: defined as a war game other than Hearts of Iron 4, so that's my pick. <laughs> I'm not really the war game guy.
1: All right, Hearts of Iron 4 did a really good job of the grand yeah. strategy and war game merging with the, yeah. the economic system I've talked about at length when we had to. So like that is probably the one that I played the most here. Uh, conceptually, Steel Division... Just like, you know, I've talked about that at length as well. It's it plays like World War Two feels like it should feel yeah. at yeah. a level that I was just shocked by. It's gorgeous to look at, uh it feels good to play, uh, it's very finicky in a lot of ways that it make it not super duper accessible, but man, when that thing clicks it's uh just like this is how a World War Two game should feel.
2: War game airland battle. Yeah. It's gotta be. I mean, like, Red Dragon was really good. Uh like it had certainly like way more units. Uh, but it didn't have the, the campaign.
0: The campaign worked way better in airline Battle. Oh yeah, for it's sure. So good. There um, were there were a lot of weird shitty battles that Red Dragon threw together.
2: Yeah. So yeah, it's gotta be it's gonna be that just so fucking good. And I love I love Steel Division. But yeah. um Yeah, it's yeah, definitely airline battle. I uh
0: I think if Ultimate General hadn't tried to throw the entire Civil War into one game, <laughs> uh, we would have really been on to something. Um, but, I, but I feel like Civil War was like, at once cool. There was cool stuff in it. There was a lot to play around with. But I think it also ended up maybe ending that game before its time um, in a way that if you'd had like big, loving recreations of these huge battles... Um, I think it would have. I think it would have been something we, we we'd have been obsessed with for a number of years. Uh, at least Rowan uh, and I would have. Yeah, multiplayer. Also. Multiplayer that would have been great. Have,
1: yeah, because
0: uh, Rowan and I are so thirsty for multiplayer. He and I <laughs> played. Uh, God, what was that board the, game the, adaptation?
1: The uh, Tides of War.
0: No, yeah,
1: a, uh, Gettysburg. The, the tide, tide turns. turns. Yes.
0: Yeah, and we were playing like we knew our games were desyncing. And we were just seeing how far we could get before <laughs> we hit desyncs. <laughs> and uh, it was it was really a magical experience. I tried playing
2: Gettysburg with you, Rob, and getting a wee lesson in Civil War history, which I don't yeah. really know much about. That it, was nice. That was evident. Bit of an education. <laughs> yeah, it was that's, it was that's a-, a bit mean. I didn't do brilliantly, but you know, if it wasn't, i playing the losing side anyway. The racists. Uh, I think that I was. True. so. It is only fair. If anything, I was role playing.
0: <laughs> that that is true. You did uh, you did push it, push it in some interesting directions uh, <laughs> with, with unconventional tactics. Uh, so RTS. Um,
1: I think the one that I just enjoyed the most, like when I went through and tried to play the StarCraft twos, uh. It took me, like, three months to get through the first campaign, but then the Zerg one, Heart of the Swarm, I just blasted yeah. through that thing in two days. Like, the level design and the sort of aesthetic customization that you can do in that, and I'm a person who plays these things single-player. Like, I might jump in a, a multiplayer game occasionally, but my goal is to have a good campaign. Just the level design of Heart of the Swarm was amazingly good.
3: Yeah, I agree. Heart of the Swarm was definitely the strongest chapter of the StarCraft II trilogy. I liked Wings of Liberty a lot. Uh, I think Legacy of the Void was the, the weakest of the three. Um, but I mean, other than that, Ardenna Salt is probably what yeah. I would call out.
2: It's gotta be Arden Salt.
0: If you fold it's... Company of Heroes 2 into one big omnibus edition, which these days you basically can. Yes! Uh, Especially for the, the I, multiplayer it for stuff
2: me. was really good. Like I really liked the, the multiplayer oh, DLC. Oh, the British Army. Oh, there's so much um, good stuff in that game. Yeah, I... Um... But even without bundling them all together, it's uh, Ardennes Assault for me. Yeah. Like it had that, because I I think before that came out that was one thing that I was moaning about not having enough of was a good dynamic campaign. And that has such a great, but very, very simple and straightforward dynamic campaign that just ties in with the mission so well. And those little random dynamic objectives that you get in the missions, these little additional challenges that you get that spice things up, like assassinating someone in particular uh, in the middle of some sort of snowy infiltration of some time was just fucking awesome. Uh. All right,
0: Rowan, now there's a, you set space games off in their own category, and conceptually <laughs> I, I feel, eh. like, conceptually I feel you. Do you
2: mean Space 4X games? Is that what you meant, specifically? So, so Rob,
1: you and I were both full-on freelance writers from, like, 2013 to 2015, right? Yes. Oh, the best space games lists. Is right, when, yeah, when, oh, I've been there. Every other game that came out that we had to review was some new remix of Master of Orion 2. <laughs> Up to and including a Master of Orion reboot. Like So bad as well. Like I mean, some of them were fine and some of them weren't,
0: but like... I've, you know, I've just, spent the entire reboot, weekends I mean. playing games you cannot buy anymore because <laughs> they were pulled from the Steam store. Like, I started reviewing a game on Friday and it was pulled from the Steam store by Wednesday. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I, so, I remember we, we played a, 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 a reviewed our a Space 4X game, Rob, and the developer came on to my review to have a go at both of us because he didn't know what we wanted from Space 4X games anymore. Which, and he was having, like, an existential crisis or something. Uh, it was, so weren't I we felt, all. And I was like, yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? It's like, we're not really sure what these are offering. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was as well.
0: Oh, that was uh, Dan- uh Daniel. Uh, yeah, the the, the, the real time master Orion. It was Star Drive. It was yeah, Star, Star Drive. Drive. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was fine. They were like fine. They just weren't great, um, and they just didn't really do. They just didn't. I just didn't fancy them, to be honest. They weren't very good. Uh, they had some interesting, like, because they tried to do the turn based uh, army combat uh, with your space bears and stuff like that. Uh, It could have been interesting because the actual like turn based stuff in Endless Legend, uh, the actual tactical combat was an okay part of it. I so enjoy anyway, the weapon
0: system game. Uh,
1: yeah, Rowan. The, the, the reason that I divided those things was, basically, if I could get more than two within a subgenre, I mostly went for it. And also because there were like 10 other games that we had to deal with and we might have yeah. done shows on or we definitely did reviews on, but nobody actually cared enough about any of them to add them. So the entirety of space strategy
0: on our list currently is Endless Space 1 slash 2 and Stellaris. And so they uh, <laughs> can go to 4X where they belong. Space Tactics, I feel like basically like... Naval tactics is a subgenre. Like naval tactics yes. games are a different animal.
1: Nevertheless, you the... and
0: Troy can have that show on your own.
1: Yeah,
2: I don't <laughs> think I played one naval tactics game. I had to review, oh, come on, and then guys. BSG did uh, a lot it was good. It was this game. I can't even remember this game. Arctic naval command battle. Okay, or something yeah. That, like l- that. Look,
0: that was that was <laughs> peak paradox. Not really knowing how to handle external studios. <laughs> I don't
2: think was that was that even a paradox game. Yes. No, you're thinking naval of Leviathan... No, you're, th- no, yeah, you're thinking they of did, They did
0: both. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. No, this they,
2: naval. This was like was just really basic. Um, just little symbols on the screen, really. Uh, and it was just so dry. And I, I got to the point where I was so bored of it, I just didn't even review it.
0: <laughs> so, if you're wondering why we didn't discuss uh, <laughs> command, modern air and naval operations on this show, uh, not really the. We're not really the the target demo, uh, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, But so to that point, uh, yeah, the Naval Tactics show can wait. Uh, Let's discuss... Of Tactics Games. And boy, I just don't know if I... Rowan, you divided them into two categories: embedded tactics and emergent tactics. And I just Fuck don't know that I can go. Noise. I just Rowan don't is know. The only
3: person
1: who what knows in, what
0: that means.
3: What does that even mean? You don't, <laughs> is what this kind a, of game critics
1: are you people? <laughs> well, embedded is... narrative is a narrative that is written for the game. Emergent narrative is a narrative that comes out of how you play the game. This is Why one of are the core divisions. Why are we? Like Why are we de- because darkest dungeon and Mario plus Rabbids are very different games. And basically, if you want a more specific way to go into this, Do this you is think RPGs that, that have tactics be- versus strategy
2: games that have tactics. Do you think Mario Rabbids is better than Darkest Dungeon? Because I think you could compare them. I mean,
1: I think you could compare them, but I would say that Mario and Rabbids is a rpg where darkest dungeon is a strategy game and they're like just on different sides of that border but that is a notable enough border that i mean and look at the the number of quality games we have here
0: uh that also i feel now we're in full salesman mode and look just look (laughs) at the selection before you how can this not be its own category Mm. can you seriously lump all these delicious dishes (laughs) into one stew nay these yeah, are you, it's you, also
1: like, okay, where do the characters come from? Are the characters randomized or are the characters written for you? Uh where, there are yeah, how there are, are differences the maps in many genres. Uh, how, are the, how are the maps made? Granting right, this. These are distinct things, and we've gotten a lot of good tactics games. We can do both. It's yeah. great.
0: Alright, Rowan. Let's <laughs> go with the emergence. Let's start with with emergence. Uh because this, is, this is a list of heavyweights. Yes, uh, you you wrote down XCOM, Darkest Dungeon, BattleTech, Invisible Ink, Battle Bros, Battle Brothers. Uh, that is a tough crowd. What stands out?
1: I mean, does is anyone else going to talk about Invisible Ink? Because that is an amazing I game that we haven't touched Invisible at all. Invisible Ink. All right, it's, I'll let, I'll let it's Fraser.
2: Un- it's my f- one of my favorite stealth games as well as tactics yeah. games. Yeah, well, uh, go and ahead. cyberpunk it. games. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's uh, like a timed, almost timed, because it's not really timed, but you have a set amount of time to basically uh, stop your agency from being completely uh, wiped out, going into these sort of uh, randomised, they almost, they have a sort of, almost like wireframe aesthetic, don't they? Uh, The sort of cyberpunk aesthetic that they've gone for is really good. It's very much about, like, really trying to avoid combat. It is a stealth game. It's nothing like... XCOM, you're trying to slip in and out very efficiently, not causing mess, not setting off alarms. But as you spend time in the missions, it gets hotter and hotter, more and more dangerous. So there's constant pressure. But you do have a little out in that you can sort of rewind the game and fix your fuck ups. Uh, but you've got to use it quite sparingly. Uh, I just. I honestly, especially when it came out at a time where it, we didn't have quite as many tactics games as we do now. But I think even standing up to the to the best of the most recent bunch, it's still very much right at the top. Even just in the aesthetic, which it easily has the best, it's the best looking tactics game by a long shot.
1: Yeah, it's it's just a remarkably clever game all around, and I wish I'd been able to spend a little bit more time with it. For it was always just a game that I loved, but never like went in and said, "All right, I'm going to finish this sucker." Um, so yeah, it's it's not it's not the one that I would say my favorite is here, but it's one that is so good that definitely wanted someone to
2: talk about. Um, and because it's like a stealthy, I think it also like stands apart. Like yeah. I probably wouldn't put it in like it's my favorite tactics game of the decade, but I would still like recommend it above like most of them, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I, if I'm you know, making my list of the best of the year, the best of the decade, like XCOM, Darkest Dungeon, and Battletech are probably all on there, but uh the one that I think I invested the most of myself in well, no, I did make all those XCOM mods. Oh God, uh, <laughs>
2: the bloody X Men ones! Oh yeah, oh yeah,
1: I got like a hundred and thirty X Men in, in XCOM uh, Two. Mod. They were
2: so good.
3: Yeah, he <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: was such a nerd. <laughs> before the game even was like officially released, uh, but no, Darkest Dungeon, <laughs> I just put like so much effort in on PC when it was early access, on PC when it came out, uh, and then on Switch when it came to that. It's just like hit some deep core part of my brain that wanted this kind of like dark fantasy tactics game that was simple enough when you like conceived of it, but actually super complicated when you were trying to get into it. It scaled really well most of the time. And it had what I talked about where it knew exactly what its difficulty was supposed to be. And that's a thing that separates it from XCOM and even Battletech uh, where those games always struggled with, like, what exactly is our overall design here? What is our focus? Darkest Dungeon knew exactly what that was. That was exactly what I wanted. Apparently, some of the best music in any game that I have ever played. Um, The narrator that they used to ha- put the whole thing together, where they went and found somebody who had, like, done VHS movie narration for, like, horror movies. They went and tracked down the dude in order to get him to be the narrator for the game and... A, just hangs the entire aesthetic experience on this dude doing overwrought Lovecraftian style without the racism, mostly uh, <laughs> narration. <laughs> like I don't know, It it's that's what I'm gonna go with under the hopes that someone else picks XCOM.
3: <laughs> uh, I mean, mine is mine is definitely XCOM. Even if you combined the embedded and impergent tact or er, tactics categories together, XCOM Enemy Unknown is definitely my pick for tactics there you go tj commit good man yeah for sure (laughs) um yeah i i don't i mean they're just even if i was looking not just at strategy but in overall games of the decade it's a top five game for me i didn't really have a lot of fun with very much else um i i loved the the uh you know the the visuals the sound the the mechanics i love the sort of way they told the story I'm a sucker for the, like, mission control scene in every space movie. Uh, so I loved, like, the first time you sh- sh- shoot down a UFO and it's like everybody's standing around the globe clapping. Uh, like, that's very much my sort of thing, my sort of aesthetic. Um, I thought that um, I did have some issues with letting you build kind of an uber hero squad a little too easily. Um, which is something that the Long War mods sort of uh, sought to address fairly successfully. Um, but, yeah, XCOM. What mods? The Long War.
0: Uh, huh. Never heard yeah,
3: of it. Yeah. And I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if uh, that's ever been brought up on this show before. Uh, we'll, we'll send good. you a link sometime, Rob. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, definitely definitely a, a standout game of the decade and right. pretty much Here's every a respect. counterpoint.
0: Okay giant 10 meter tall battling <laughs> robots
2: <laughs> it is i have just been getting back into BattleTech, and it is just so bloody good i would have i think a month ago i would have probably said xcom 2 but it's really it's hard to pick between them now i think with xcom you've got it's like it really kicked all this off. Even the games that aren't directly influenced by XCOM, I don't think would be around if it wasn't for like how well Foraxis did when they brought back XCOM. Um, I just think it made the landscape it like it made tactics games more viable, these kind of bigger budget ones. Uh, so it's got that sort of legacy but I am having so much time just cooking people in their mechs right now or jetpacking in with an axe. Uh, whoever thought putting an axe on a mech is just the smartest person in the planet. Um, it's Yeah, it's, it's an absolute joy, but it is quite difficult bit between them. But just now, at this point in 2020, uh, I'm saying that it was Battletech.
0: Damn right. See, we did it. Way to I go. Mean, it- you you wrote about this, Rob. Battle
1: Battletech is about like the grind. It's about a battle of attrition where XCOM, I think, to its uh uh Weakness, uh, that's not the way to phrase it, but XCOM is weaker because it's about like trying to get these perfect little hits. Your squad takes out all the aliens, doesn't get hit back. Battletech, you're taking hits and that makes yeah. the whole management aspect of the game. Every aspect of it seems to click a little more. XCOM is so much better at so many technical levels, but Battletech has that kind of conceptual, um, you know, uh, it all comes together in a way that uh, is really good, even though it doesn't seem like, you know, just looking at it or, uh, you know, the load times or whatever, these, these technical aspects hold it back, but at a conceptual level, it's, it hangs together so well.
0: Yeah. I think it's a welcome break from a lot of, a lot of games across a lot of different genres, I think end up inhabiting a space of there being implicit hard counters Across a lot of the game and this notion that, uh, you should have the right tool for the right job and be able to perform like these stiletto like, uh, maneuvers to, to achieve success without, without getting bashed up. And I think Battletech really successfully has this notion of, no, the armor's there for a reason. Like you like you, you are going to get chipped down. the game the, 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 the art of it is to be on both the right side of that exchange, but then also to be on the profitable side, uh, which is that's tough to get at if you're not making a mercenary game, which is a weird side thought. Uh, embedded the- tactics.
1: To, just to shout out Battle Brothers, which also does that really well without having robots.
0: Yeah, and also has it so that, like, sometimes. What if robots were people and you couldn't repair them sometimes?
2: <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that's maybe one of the cool things about Biotech that just other tactics games don't have, where it's like actually building your squad feels just. Way more compelling. Like, I love my XCOM squad, but so much of that is wrapped up just purely in the cosmetics and that, or that they've been with me for a long time. Like, building your XCOM squads, like, as a class, the class progression is really pretty simple. There aren't many routes you can go. Uh, but with Battletech, you're actually building these machines putting the components in there you actually have to find the bloody yeah. limbs and parts before you can even build them and if they get blown up and you don't have any spares well you're fucked and you just have to make do with whatever you have in your armory um and I, I can't really think of anything else that that does that and it's it, for me that's part of the joy of of Battletech, is actually the construction of the forts uh
0: two embedded tactics
2: What are, what are we talking about now? Like emblem, Fire Emblem. That's the one. Three Houses. I like that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Valkyria Chronicles, Divinity: Original Sin. Oh yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Because an
2: RPG, though. Really? Are we? Well, that was. It, this was well,
0: roughly yes.
1: Yes. This is. These are the ones that are probably more RPGs, but have significant right. tactical aspects. Zero of, but...
3: Shadow Tactics. Yeah, yeah, Shadow Tactics was really good. Really yeah, but good. but the actual very... tactic stuff wasn't. Oh, that pardon. Great. That one doesn't really
1: fit because it's that commando style. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, sorry, what, I,
2: sorry. No, I'm thinking of uh, the other Shadow one with the magic and the elves and the cyberpunk. Oh, uh, Shadow, uh, Run. Shadow Run. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. A good Shadow game. Tactics. Fuck, uh, not- Shadow Tactics is brilliant. Yeah, scrub that. I loved it.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Shadow, Shadow Run was also very good, but the tactical aspect of it was yeah. not yeah. really yeah. at the level where fine. we would talk about it. I, I because you know, y'all are going to talk about Fire Emblem. Um, I would probably go with the expansion to Mario and Rabbids. Uh, The Donkey Kong one was just like, that was the ideal form of that game for me. It didn't have all those kind of like aspects of the game that were kind of trailing off. Like you had to pick three people out of eight and then like try to customize them and figure out like which ones went where. It was like, you have these three who you develop in very specific ways and learn how to use them. The level design was, because of that, a lot more interesting, um, and it just ended up being a really fun little expansion to a game that had no business being as good as it was.
2: Uh, I liked Fire Emblem uh, because I'm single. Uh, you don't have to be in a
0: Fire r- Emblem, Fraser.
2: <laughs> you can get with one that's of your three. students
0: a thing yeah. that teachers should absolutely do, and is not creepy.
2: It's we okay if you're also like it's okay if you're five years, years.
0: into the apocalypse.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, we, yeah, I think it's ahead. pretty it's pretty difficult to to pick uh, Fire Emblem because I'm not like fully through my third playthrough yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's what you meant by being
1: single. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Until you truly understand,
2: understand right. the blue
3: lions, you can't yeah. really
2: uh yeah. Yeah. Uh but yeah, it is it's with Divinity Original Sin in the mix though as well, that it's it's really a tough one because it's for me it's like the element stuff is it's the, yes. the magic that makes the tactics of, of Original Sin 2 really quick. But it's just a great like the core of it as a tactics game is really good but it is the creative use of elements and uh pools of crap on the floor that can suddenly explode or curse you or maybe heal you or maybe curse you and set you on fire uh like they were actually making a a pure tactic spin-off uh but it got it got shelved unfortunately um and i was being outsourced right it was being outsourced yeah. yeah um and it, like, I would have still loved to see that because that, I think, deserves its own standalone uh, game. But I think just because it's so it's an RPG with tactics like tactical combat, whereas I would say that Fire Emblem is a tactics game with some role playing elements uh, and a visual novel and dating sim. Uh, yeah, the, it's the everything. It's it's tea got drinking sim It's a tea drinking sim. Yeah, let's just go That's with charming, bar yeah. emblem. Yeah, uh,
0: <laughs> uh, Valkyria Chronicles kicks ass. Is the thing like I really <laughs> like? I really like that game, and I think it has some really gorgeous set pieces. Um, so that that might be my standout in this field. TJ, are you going to do it?
3: Huh? Are you going to say Banner like Saga? Not. Am I going to say what? The Viking game. I have not played any of the Banner Saga games. Can you believe it?
2: What? That's. I bet you'd be annoyed by it, though, because you have Vikings aren't really like this. Or Vikings, that, that, Vikings <laughs> aren't 12-foot
1: giants. <laughs>
2: Where? Yeah, where's all the terrible stuff they're doing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Banner Saga. Actually, yeah, I yeah, think because of it, he would
1: like it. Like, I think I mean, it has I mean, that, everyone that, would that. like it. It has it that really element good. of Viking, I don't know, authenticity, but sort of like not the cartoon Viking thing that I think I TJ think would get you into.
2: Can, you can check out hmm. just the tactical side of it. I think it might still be downloadable because before the first game came out as a sort of demo and proof of concept, they just released the a few, like a battle thing. Just a little, oh. that's all it was, like a standalone um, little dis- skirmishes uh well worth checking out if that's still available uh the real draw of the game i think is the narrative and and like just the story um but the tactics
3: are also really good well if people would stop making video games maybe i'd have time to go
0: back and play some stuff that i missed well here's hoping the next (laughs) decade
2: (laughs) Uh, yeah it's gonna slow down surely
0: 4x games (sighs) oh for me this is not even a question no, it's not, but... Like, I mean, like, respect to, you know, things like Civilization Five and 6, Uh but, like, for me, like, Endless Legend was far and away the most interesting and enticing game in the space this decade.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was beautiful. I don't know if it's good! It was, we still don't know <laughs> if it's a good strategy <laughs> game, but it's a great experience. Um, beautiful music, beautiful graphics, beautiful, like, interface conceptually uh, a really interesting smart science fiction
0: um and i would still put that over like Stellaris i certainly put it over there on the space games and I think Stellaris does properly belong in this category
1: i you I, know? I think we can put everything on here above Stellaris except maybe Rome 2.
2: And um, so i really like Stellaris <laughs> <laughs> Shocker! <laughs> I know. Um, I'd, if someone put Ro- Romans in it, I'd be done. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there, you can totally make the Roman Empire in Stellaris. There's, there's I've lots
0: of I'm sure it. you can, TJ, I've, with that I've, I've fan done. base.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um I'm not sure I would put it, it at the top. Though I think I'd have to go with with Endless Legend. But for a more sort of sandboxy, anything goes. It, um, I. I do still get quite a lot out of Stellaris. And just for time played, the amount of time I put into that, I think I've put more time into the uh, fantastic uh, Star Wars Horizons mod. And that is another thing about Stellaris, is that for me, a lot of it is the the mods uh, that really make it worthwhile. Um, And that Star Trek mod is the best Star Trek game uh, just ever, I think. Uh, So... That might be it, yeah. maybe. Maybe the best 4X game is the Star Trek Horizons mod. Um, but if not that, I think, uh, yeah, Endless endless Legends has to have it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll shout out Civ V, uh, just because I've put hundreds of hours into it. Um, I do think that moving to one unit per tile made Civ a much more interesting tactical military game than it had ever been. Um, and I enjoyed that part of it a lot. Uh, there's other parts of it that I have aged less well um but yeah other than total war and paradox games i think civ 5 is my most played game of all time on steam so yeah alone for how long it captured my attention i've got to at least shout it out even if i don't really think it's necessarily the superior game to uh endless legend and then grand strategy well here's the thing so there's there's one game of the 2010s, uh, I believe it came out in 2012, that I would say is not only my favorite grand strategy game, not only my favorite strategy game of all, of the 2010s, possibly my favorite strategy game of all time, um, and that, of course, is Gettysburg Armored Warfare. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I mean, Crusader Kings 2, I mean, it stands alone. I don't think there's anything else this decade that was even in contention for my game of the decade, necessarily, like I thought about it for maybe 10, 15 seconds. Uh, I love Crusader Kings 2. It's everything I want to see in a strategy game. Um, I've played it more than any other game that I own, except maybe World of Warcraft, which is designed to be a time sink. Um it's it's pretty close to perfect. If somebody could figure out how to integrate Mountain Blade Warband into Crusader Kings, <laughs> that would be perfect. You'd never see me again cuz I would die at my in my computer chair never wanting to ever go do anything else. The only problem
0: with that <laughs> is EU4 is way better.
3: Um uh, I'm going to say nah. That's, I'm going to say
2: no nah to that. Is it's my maybe response. a better grand strategy game. Well, that's what I the category think, yeah. is, so I thank no, you. That's why I'm <laughs> By not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think like, I get why TJ would say CK2, because I, actually, I just think it's a better, uh, or at least more entertaining game.
3: Uh, U4 is more elegant. It's more cohesive. Uh, but I like that, the messiness. That would have been the argument
0: I rode all the way down to the, d- down to the ground with the U4. Uh, I'm not sure it is as much anymore. <laughs> really? Post-estates, the way development works, like there's, there's a lot of... It's, it's very fiddly now in, in a way it didn't used to be. Uh, but that is, the, that is the arc of Paradox Games. Hey, quick question. Who would fade the world on this? Me. <laughs> is that some... That game that totally a weird, flew under that- my radar.
2: This was years ago. Like, it came out in, like, 2010, right? It must have been really...
1: I was trying to figure out what is a good grand strategy type of thing that is not a Paradox game, because Paradox has kind of tried to brand itself as doing grand this strategy. This is the climate
2: change one, right? Yeah, yes. This is, uh, yeah, I um, wrote about so, this for Destructoid. Yes, <laughs> Jeez, so was I,
1: I was trying to think of, okay, what are the you know traits of a grand strategy game? And it's like trying to you know work at a national imperial or you know space imperial level in order to... You know, achieve what your goals are, and I couldn't figure out a better place to put Fate of the World, uh, which is in some ways the most emotionally affecting game of the decade that I played because it sent me into a climate change related depression for like six months, and I haven't ever really recovered and probably never will because nobody has actually done anything to arrest climate change <laughs> in any way whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, if you if you never played Fate of the World, it was, uh, Based on the data that we had from, you know, two thousand ten or whatever, like it, it posited that in twenty twenty, climate change would get bad enough that uh, there would be kind of a world treaty in order to try to stop climate change from destroying the earth. And you pure played fantasy. That, you played that. <laughs> You played that uh that organization and you had little choices that you would make. It was kind of card based. You would draw like five cards and figure out which ones you would play on which uh which area of the world. Um the US or North America pretty much always descended into Civil War by twenty fifty. Tigers were always extinct by twenty eighty, it's just uh uh really really incredibly depressing and i've heard that the designers had to like try to make it gamier in order to not just be an incredibly depressing thing so like it didn't work (laughs) at an emotional level like yeah that that game actually hit me really hard i would not say it was one of the best games but i wanted to get it somewhere in here and grand strategy seemed to fit in a very strange weird way uh i'm actually with with you all basically saying that EU4 is probably the best game that we had in this area, but Crusader Kings 2 is the one that had most of my love.
2: I'm trying to think if there's anything else uh, that would even really kind of get close. And I'm struggling.
0: <laughs> yeah. Vicky 2, more games need more More games need pops. And oh, but, yes. Oh. We saw what happened when. You know, real pops, not out. fake pops. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we do the guys, least... Imperator is good now. Damn it! <laughs> but we'll talk about that next week.
0: We'll talk about it soon. Yeah, it's really not... soonish. All right, uh, all right. Worst game. Worst game. Worst game. I wasn't prepared for this. That seems
2: a bit mean spirited. Uh, also, I don't like the
0: the nature of I this mean, is even... to leave things behind. Like I don't remember shit. That that's recency bias for you. Okay, most disappointing game. Mm. Which is really what worst game is. Okay, <sighs> well then that makes it easy. Uh, <laughs> uh, do, do we
2: want to see it?
0: <laughs> I, I don't know which one pleasure would more
1: yell at me more oh, for. Oh, right,
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the, gonna yell at you for either of your choices.
1: The the actual answer is probably SimCity twenty twelve or twenty eleven, yeah. whichever okay. one it was. All like right. that was just yeah. that was just an epic disaster. They tried to add all this social stuff to it and forgot uh. to actually include a functional game. Um it it was just like this is this is a picture of a city that's get built gets built while you pretend that things are happening. Um, please, you know, make your friends buy this game so that they can join you. Oh my uh, god.
2: They had a cheek to even call it a city builder, because you're yes. really just building a district of these very separated districts, and so someone else is building another one and also, next door. The industry was in still
0: huge, and so if you convince somebody to be like, hey, I need someone to produce iron for my city or whatever i need i need industrial city next to me so i can have goods for my city you'd create that district and you put like five factories down that was it that was the game yeah it was like all it, right but, it, it
2: but, and that was like irrelevant a facebook game and at the time that was when there were actual like facebook games that loads of people played and farmville style things and people would make that comparison and at first when it was like you know first announced uh, and people started getting a bit worried about the social aspects the com- the comparisons to facebook games seemed really disingenuous but then it came out and it was like oh no they were actually right this is just a glorified facebook game but, uh, it, but even those
1: facebook games work like you yes, have someone you have someone work. who's producing the iron yes and <laughs> that actually is relevant to you where sim city <laughs> 20 sim city was just like Oh yes, the idea of iron exists somewhere, so you can continue doing what you are doing, which is actually functionally totally irrelevant.
2: Like the one cool thing was the Cities of Tomorrow thing. The mega blocks looked really cool and sort of let you make something that looked a bit like Mega City One from like Judge Dredd, but purely aesthetic. That was and right. actually just aesthetically in general, uh, SimCity was very pretty. But that was it. Yeah, That's it, the best thing I could say
3: hmm. about it.
1: Say
0: Solaris, Rob, say it. I was looking <laughs> hard at Solaris, man. I was looking at it real hard. And, uh, hmm. So I think here's my case for Solaris. It's not the, like, it's categorically not, like, a terrible game. It's not the worst. But in terms of what I was hoping from a game like Stellaris and how it might change up the formula in a space that had gotten really kind of exhausted, uh, to where it ended up, I think Stellaris was a massive disappointment for me. Um and i i think part of that maybe is i wanted something more like vicky or ck2 in, in space and i right. ended up with something just so much more traditional than i imagined and ran into all the problems of your traditional forex games uh which is that for the longest time and i'm still not sure they've they've broken out of this once you've expanded through the galaxy i find that just a way less interesting game to continue playing like the minute i've met everyone and like i've seen what's up my interest level in continuing plummets uh i haven't maybe i haven't played enough around the uh you know federation uh type 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 mechanics uh sort of the the galactic community type stuff that's still when
2: it gets pretty dull even with the the new stuff
0: yeah Uh, and so yeah and so i i think it's it it's weird for me that like paradox which generally made games that remained fascinating throughout the arc of of the game throughout the arc of history uh you take it into the 4x setting and the exact same thing happens in Stellaris, that happens in every other game, no matter what design uh, framework they're bringing to it.
1: It's almost worse because, like, you know, this This feels like EU4, but it's not. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there there should be an interesting thing happening here, and it's just, it doesn't exist, and you're just waiting for it, and it, no, it never
2: appears. For me, I've got to say, it's at the gates, to be honest. I was I really to say it,
3: but, yeah. like
2: I was super excited about it, uh, and obviously you know Rome and stuff, and uh, even when you're fighting them, uh, and it was just not a good game. That's the that that's why it's like I think even like obviously I'm I'm a Dolores defender, even though I, I pretty much agree with like everything that you said, Rob. Um, but I actually think there are lots of stuff. Even if you don't gel with Stellaris as a whole, like a lot of really cool stuff going on in Stellaris, it's just not really that cohesive. I don't. I think there's like one interesting thing going on in At the Gates, and that's like the climate. Um, Yeah. I guess there's some like kind of the clan management stuff was pretty interesting. It's all right. You know why it's done a lot better in like Six Ages or dragon pass um yeah yeah i just did not like it at all unfortunately and after and coming from a developer i thought it like that really knew their shit and created some like honestly i still think some of the the most interesting ideas that civ has had uh it was yeah massively disappointing so it's going to be that for me unfortunately
0: it's tough to work. It's tough to work with a small team to work semi alone. Like mm-hmm. I, think, I think
2: for so long too, it I think remains that was a game with issues. a lot of
0: cool ideas. Uh, but yeah, it seems like it is more viable to make a game with cool ideas when you've got the might of Firaxis behind you and that experienced team and production staff. Uh,
2: than, I think the stopping and starting didn't help because the like joining another studio and it yeah. just. No, I, I I can't imagine that it would be very easy to make a, a decent game under those circumstances. Uh, yeah. But also, yeah.
0: Rome 2. Rome two. Yeah. yeah. Rome <laughs> two, Go to hell. Alright, uh, I have to smoke bomb well out of here now. Uh, I think I tried to give the high sign a while ago, uh, and then I got caught. I was like, how long can the discussion of these top games uh, possibly take us? We'll move through <laughs> these categories quickly. Um tj's like
2: oh 90 minutes isn't enough to discuss the games of the decade well, here and yet, we go you're right tj <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> tj tj it's true uh, tj won uh tj won tj won the decade show and <laughs> on that am, I note i am
3: the strategy journalist of the decade yeah
0: all right that'll do it for this week we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion this episode is produced by keith carberry Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Through Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. That also has further information about our super-secret Discord server, where we occasionally talk about strategy games. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Through Moves Ahead. Until then, for Rowan, for TJ, For Fraser, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. That will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. This episode was produced by Keith Carberry. So something very funny just happened. What happened? I stopped my recording.
2: When did you start your recording? Just literally now. Oh, just now. Okay, that's fine. That's Uh, fine. We're all good. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Are you in such a rush to get out of here wrong? Like, fuck this recording.